the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can be here this morning with you. We are live, and I am Veda with Palladio. Thank goodness, and I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, retired nurseryman in administrator of our facebook group mid-south gardening gardening in usda zone six seven and eight well well done there mr jim i get every time like i told you you're taking over my phone <laughs> every time i get on there the first thing or oh the uh, post from the facebook page yeah, yeah. It, okay. and it's pretty amazing honestly it really is i saw that was the cool one blah blah blah, blah, blah your uh-huh. page yeah this the the hedge that was pruned like a uh, caterpillar. Yeah, that was pretty, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. worked really good. I mm-hmm. loved it. So I don't know if I'm in, I mean, unless I'm at Disney. You don't know if you want to see that. I don't know if I'm, I'm into sculpture pruning shrubs in my own landscape. Says the man who has them all around. Ah. Oh, they the beach balls, Jim. <laughs> 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 that I'm into, okay? <laughs> oh, that does look great, Vader. She should just really show me does. a picture. There oh, was, man, I could do that. No, yeah. it's not I could do that. I could go with that. I could live I with that. I got you, but yeah. you're like, I'm not doing that. No, I'd have a hard time trying to trying to create that. The sculptured animals. And, and Jim, was... I'll, I, I don't mind the... <laughs> okay, you got me. I don't mind <laughs> pruned shrubs because I'm constantly pruning shrubs. Now, like I've said before, the one thing that I don't like, and you'll never catch me doing, is squaring off my... Azaleas, yes, squared azaleas, and <laughs> you like just said, the, the fire department not far from my house has squared off for Scythia. Ew, so in yes. spring, it just, yes, <laughs> it's just <laughs> something unique. just don't look yeah, like unique. Yes, and I told y'all that time I went to a gentleman's house, and he had you know pretty diverse landscape. Um, and one of the things that, that struck me more than anything, he had like four or five pine trees on the side of his house. And I promise you, he had those things. It was like a trunk that came up out of the ground, mm-hmm. and it was like a square, a, bo- oh, a box yeah. sitting on top. Now, he had a, a power line up there, and I'm sure that's uh-huh. why he did it. But I was like, that that's, doesn't look right. Maybe he could have pruned it a little differently. Oh, they did. <laughs> maybe not plant pine trees right up under this power line. But, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it looked like a box sitting on top of a peg, and it was supposed to be a pine tree. And I'm like... Mm-mm. I'm all into pruning, but Jim, that that didn't that get it. Did it. I'm telling you. Yeah, my preference is to let plants grow the way they want to grow. You For the still, most part, still has to require pruning. You know, things yeah. things like hydrangeas and calicarpa and things like that need to have got to have some pruning on them to keep them nice looking. It's just I want them to weep if that's what they're supposed to do, or grow <laughs> upright if that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm raising my hand over here. Yeah, I'm guilty for right. some of that, you know, not letting that happen. There's there's one type of uh, pruning that I never thought could actually work, and that was the fruit trees that they espalier <laughs> put on the wall. I do like well, that. You know what I mean? <clears throat> well, to, for, to explain, you know, you, you plant the tree right up against the wall, and then you take the limbs and run them out sideways or sideways and up. And you can get fruit off of it. I mean, it's it. flat up against that I wall, know. flat. That's one thing I thought would never work. When For I about two weeks it. in the spring when they're in bloom, they're mm-hmm. spectacular. Yeah. yeah. You're right. They really are. You know, when you've got 
solid tubes of white mm. from a pear tree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. And then it does, it's kind of cool that it has some fruit. Yeah. Can't support a lot. Right. Uh, because of the weight and, and because you, you have really limited the amount of foliage it's producing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's kind of unique. Yeah. Um, if you've got a small garden, you know, zero lot line or something, yeah. I think it'd be a cool addition. Well, right, but also right. things like pyracanthas and camellias, and you see these other things that have the been espaliers. Yeah. 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 Southern magnolia, I've seen that done, and I just... I don't think that's right. I just don't. <laughs> if if someone's not constantly n- nipping the tips off to keep it full and on that, yeah. you're right. It looks horrible. Well, they just let it grow. <laughs> you know, Jim's done a lot of bonsais in his life, and see, I'm surprised he didn't have everything on in his on his property espaliered mm-hmm. against a wall. You know, because you're good at that. I've seen your mm-hmm. your bonsais when you used to. Actually, I remember he would go out and buy these junipers, these bushy looking junipers yeah. in a three gallon size container. That son of a gun would get in there and start just whacking away mm-hmm. at. It. I'm like, man, he's going to kill this thing. And then he'd get this copper tubing and just mm-hmm. start wrapping this thing, yeah. and he'd, he'd have it done like in five minutes. And I'm like, okay, wow. I can kind of see what he's doing here. I would like to see that somebody take a juniper and prune it into a bonsai. Yeah. I, well, you got to start somewhere, more, yeah, you know? Right. I used to get back when junipers and things were decent size in a five-gallon pot. Hmm. You know, they used to be five feet tall. Now they're three feet tall. Um, but we'd get a five-foot one in really full and reduce it down to 18 inches or so mm-hmm. uh, and wire it. And you got a pretty good-looking roll side pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then all you have to do is just keep plucking at it to to make it bush out so well speaking of pruning what about my limelight hydrangeas where the blooms are just now starting to fade and mm-hmm. turn a little brown on me i was at the uh, breakfast table yesterday morning looking out and i'm like okay i really don't like that look anymore the you know breakfast what? table do you have a breakfast table a lunch table well no no room? i was in the kitchen <laughs> at the table looking out and i've got the a uh, couple of these limelights against the uh, fence back there and, you know, for the whole, most of the summer, they've been great, honestly, mm-hmm. looking, blooming their heads off, tons of blooms, beautiful white blooms, but now they're just starting to turn brown. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, here I go with my pruners again, Jim. I didn't know, I mean, should I go out there and just go ahead and deadhead them? I mean, well, I guess that's, that's a personal thing. Yeah, yeah. up to you. Yeah. I, if, I, if I, I would leave them if I mm-hmm. were you, because that way, Veda and I could come by one night and we can spray paint them. Chartreuse, yeah, and no, they're make coming them off. All really stand out. They're, they're coming off, right? Or like Jan um, had sent me a picture a couple of years ago where she put they were painted like candy corns, yeah, for yeah. the fall, uh-huh. for the yeah. There you I go. like chartreuse. Well, we could yeah. do that. Alternate pink and chartreuse, you know. Yeah, you look, yeah. Really well, but good. you but you hear an argument both ways. A lot of people say, "No, leave them on there just for winter interest mm-hmm. and for the birds and everything." Then you hear other people say. No, no, go ahead and snip them off, you know, really when they start turning brown, brown, because you want that energy to go to the roots of the plant. Well, I'm thinking... There's no energy. Well, yeah. and, and, yeah. and not, pro- <laughs> right. not producing any <laughs> seeds, but all that's already been done. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I was like, no, I'm not going for that. Right. You know, if I cut it off, it's going to be just for aesthetic reasons. Yeah. I usually leave mine because Carol said to. Well, right. there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope I Gina's like, not listening. I like them. I like them on there. Just because it's part of the the whole process of the plant, the whole season looks. So that's a season look. But I cannot say that I 
don't want to sometimes. Well, I just want to go out there and clean it up and make just the green show. But then I really like the look when we do lose the leaves. And, and with, with the, uh, the brown heads yeah, on there. Yeah, because then when everything's brown and there's no leaves... The heads are winter. Yeah, I might just leave them on there. I'll get done on them. I haven't made up my mind yet, but Jan did text in just then. She said, yeah, spray the uh, the brown blooms, the candy, like candy corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're right. I remember seeing that picture a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and someone had done that. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. was unusual looking, but it was great looking. Does that make sense? That's fine, yeah. And what about the weather, guys? I was looking at the 10-day forecast last night. Do you need you to see take that? His... Like a week of 70s? <laughs> Jim, I'm loving this. I mean, we've got next Monday is supposed to be, what, 89 degrees. And I'm thinking, that's the hottest Mm -hmm. temperature that I see is next Monday. Now, I still don't see any rain in the forecast. I think next Wednesday, there's a 30% chance, which is not going to happen. You got some out at your house this past week, didn't you? A little bit, yes. I got less, well, just right at a tenth of an inch over the two-day period. It was just almost Mm -hmm. nothing. And where it flooded when I was at work. Yeah. I mean, honestly flooded. So I'm like... Here we go again. You know, it rains everywhere I am, but not at my house. Yeah. But I did get a little bit of rain, thank goodness, Jim. But all I'm saying is we got cooler temperatures coming, but it's still going to be dry. Yeah, So <laughs> we say it all the time, don't put up that garden hose just yet. Yeah, it's going to improve your fall color if you keep things moist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need that. Everybody go out and get a little bit of water on your landscape because I need to see some fall color this year. And let's. Uh, I'm anticipating a real good year. All right. Because um, well, we had late spring, late rains. Yeah, but okay. warm days in the 70s. Oh. And then if it drops into the 40s and 50s at night, that helps lock in the sugars. Mm, okay. And so I'm hoping that we're going to have a really pretty fall. There you go. That would be great. Let's run to a break and don't give Kenneth any coffee, Jim. Okay. We'll be right back. I cannot believe you said that. Gardeners, that's Kenneth walking in because he's okay. I went, so I went and got water, oh, not, just and not coffee. I'm like, wait, what's in there? <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, we're so far we're gonna we've got people's landscapes going. They're gonna prune caterpillars and paint their hydrangeas candy corn colors. There we go. And I, have, yeah. I, I don't want to take any credit for any of that. No, no credit. Nope. <laughs> well. Let's see then. <laughs> oh, except you can take credit for the beach ball pruning, right? That I will. Hey, you know, we always talk about Dawn soap, how it's how it's bad for uh, plants and things. But I had somebody that works like at MLG and W, I think, telling me that they're, one of their things they do is mix Dawn soap with water for wasps because the soap is heavy and holds their wings down until they can stomp on them. You know what? <laughs> I, I went through something like this a couple of weeks ago. My mother had a huge wasp nest mm-hmm. outside of her front door porch. Okay, and normally she would just let them do their thing, but they were they were right pretty good. I mean, they were pretty close to the door, and there was a lot of wasp on this nest. And I know I could have gone out there and sprayed them with anything, water, yeah. dawn and water, whatever. But I, when I spray something on a wasp nest like that, <laughs> I want them things to drop dead right then mm, you know yeah because i don't want to get stung think about it right. so if you want to use dawn and water and go out there and spray those wasp you go right ahead but you're not going to find me on that property when you're doing it i want something like the hornet wasp killer that's going to just knock them dead i'm telling you 
And I went out there, and of course, it shoots a stream, you yeah. know, and I'm 10 feet away, and I'm just jetting these things. I mean, and they're dropping dead. I mean, mm-hmm. just dead as a hammer. So I don't know about that Dawn water. And I'm sure it would be okay, mm-hmm. but I, it's not going to kill them quick enough for me. Well, remember how I would talk about spraying the uh, wasp nest with water because it weights them down, and then I would take the pull the nest off and relocate it? Well, now if they're doing it with Dawn soap, it's uh, killing the wasp, and they can stomp on them. But I'm kind of past the, the that experiment of does it really work, <laughs> of spraying the wasp down and then relocating the nest. Because I just can't jump and run as well. As I don't want to make anything. <laughs> I don't want to make anything mad that's got a stinger. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm kind of getting over playing that game. Well, let's go to Tim coming, getting up early with us. Tim, thanks for the call. How can we help you? Good morning. Hey, Tim. I was <clears throat> I was wondering if you all could talk a little bit about we've reached that awkward time of the year. Mm-hmm. What what can we go ahead and put out reasonably safely? Um, what do we need? Still need to wait a little bit and have some patience on. Right. Uh, I'm anxious to put out some winter rye mm-hmm. and pull up the summer hanging uh, container baskets and put in pansies mm-hmm. and right, uh, right things in the things in the vegetable garden to yank up and go ahead and put in some fall winter stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you know, talk about that for a little bit. I think yes, you sure yeah. will. The good questions. I appreciate the questions. Thank you. I think Tim read my notes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was afraid I wouldn't be patient enough and and I just listen, but I want to make sure y'all talk. That's smart. Thank you, Tim. Really appreciate that. Excuse me. Well, let's start with the uh, the grass seed. Um, And, you know, he mentioned ryegrass. Of course, a lot of people are planting rye and fescue um, this time. Well, in the fall. And we're just now getting there to where it's time to plant either rye or fescue. Keep in mind, when you sow ryegrass or fescue, typically it's going to be about a 10-day, two-week uh, two germination. Um, and, you know, like I said, I was looking at the forecast a while ago, guys, and it looks great. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to have any more fairly warm temperatures. You know we will. Um, but, no, I think we've got the green light to go ahead and plant either ryegrass and or fescue, knowing that once it comes up and it starts to get, if it starts to get warm again, just keep it hydrated, you know, but I don't think we're going to have any more high 90-degree temperatures out there. So as far as grass seed goes, and we're already starting to sell some grass seed, but I tell people the same thing I just said. You know, if it starts to get warm again, and we know it will, we're in Memphis, right? Uh, make sure you keep that stuff hydrated. And also, I think we really need to do some soil prep before we do that. You know, I see so many people take grass seed and just sow it in on what looks like concrete, mm. you know, mm. and it'll germinate and may get a little, you know, inch or two tall, but it's not going to get roots deep enough to support it when it goes 10 days without rain. Right. So, you know, if you can get out there with a soil aerator, that's, that's <laughs> the best thing, uh, or, you know, at least with a hard rake and try to rake it up an inch or so deep and just loosen it and then sow your grass seed. Um, I don't worry about covering it. Usually a splashing of of the of a sprinkler or something will cover Embedded. the seed enough with um, with mud that you've got there. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you need to keep it muddy, and uh, you know, until you get that grass seed up. So, yeah, Nevada, so what that, about? 
Uh, vegetables, vegetables mm-hmm. definitely start cleaning your garden out. Um, like if you were planting the greens and all, a lot of people plant the end of August. Mm-hmm. So you to can, now. Yeah, to now. So clean your garden out, do that. Uh, we're starting with, when do y'all get your vegetables? We've got let, some uh, in. Um, you know, not a whole lot of, but we've got some, calm, some cool mm-hmm. crop, cold crop already in stock if you want to do the plants. But like you were just saying, Veda, if you want to go ahead and get that seed out there, I mean, now's the time to go ahead and get yeah, it done. Yeah. Right. I still wait a little bit longer on planting pansies for me personally. And that's just kind of a preference thing. But I, I'm going to wait till about the end of September, October, just depending on what it is. And maybe, well, he said hanging baskets. I think you might could get, I don't know if I'd do pansies and hang. I'd wait another week. I mean, pansies and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you and I were talking mm-hmm. about before the show even started that, you know, we got like 300 more flats in the other day. And the same thing, we're telling people when they're buying pansies and violas, uh, you know, that, you know, we're not done with warm weather, and we know that. Uh, but people are, you know, they're ready to get that old tired-looking <laughs> summer blah out of there, mm-hmm. so they're ripping that stuff out, and they're putting in their pansies and violas. Uh, so is it not? it's not too soon to do it. Just be aware that there again, like Jim was talking about with the grass seed, if it starts getting hot again, and I say hot, not summertime hot, yeah. um, just keep it hydrated. You'll right. be fine. That would help. And of course, perennials. Perennials are fun to plant now because they're, a lot of the fall per- perennials are beautiful looking. And garden centers have you know a good fall selection of perennials too. So, Well, I guess you could say really we're just about I mean, for me, this week's a cleaning stage, getting everything cleaned out, getting some soil prep, maybe being able to spend a week without having to do some watering or, you know, something like that, and then start progressing on. Yeah, we're definitely in that transition period. I mean, dry, even driving in this morning knows how dark it was. You know, I'm like, oh, whoa, yeah, was, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were driving in, it was daylight. So, I mean, it makes me feel like I'm in fall mode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, as far as the grassy, you can get it out. In fact, anytime, because... The thing with fescue, especially, because typically you're planting fescue under trees, and you want to get it in there as soon as you possibly can to get it up, get it growing before the leaves really start falling, which they already are, by the way. <laughs> from, um, from being too dry? Yes, yes ma'am. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Tim, uh, any of those and all of those, uh, man, yeah, you're fine to go ahead and start getting that done. Well, that's getting me all happy for fall. I'm ready. I'm so ready. But yeah. then... I liked the summer too. Well, I'm gonna say the elephant ears and the, you know, all the great tropical looking things, cannas and bird of paradise and calicaceous. I still liked that summer look, but we have a pretty good amount of summer. And then also, you know, you know, a lot of people have their summer annuals, of course, still out mm-hmm. there. And one of the things, you know, one of the decisions that people have to make is how long do I wait? You know before I pull these up Uh and put my fall color in, especially if the summer annuals still look really good, you know? Right. So, but, but Gina had some, uh, my wife had some begonias on the front of the house and they're, you know, they're still blooming, but they don't look great, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm really not, I don't feel too bad about yanking those things up or as Jim says, sometimes just cut them off at ground level, let the roots turn into compost, but just get them out of there and come back with some nice, fresh fall Mm -hmm. color. I always have a lot of roots on my plants. Do you still, I mean, yeah. Jim, do you still Is like you, that? Just absolutely. Co- yeah. Why well, take all that organic matter out of the ground mm-hmm. and just cut it off and let it rot in there? And I think it, it, it's done a good job of penetrating the soil and separating it. And now you've got 
organic matter down deeper than probably you had when you planted true mm-hmm. uh so i think it's always a good idea and so, and you know and we've had other than that cold really cold spell last year uh, we had a number of things that came back just fine you know lantanas and so forth that uh, were able to survive that because we really didn't have a whole lot of cold after that i mean serious yeah, serious true. cold so um, yeah, but that cold we but you that know, cold we had, ooh. I like cutting you know, things like lantana. I like cutting them off. You know, a lot of people advocate leaving them so that you don't get water into the cane. But I usually just, uh, you know, if I want to save them, just cut them off. Take a little piece of uh, trash bag and just lay across the top of the crown and really? cover it with mulch, really? and that keeps water out of it, so you don't have to worry about that. But what if what if you didn't seal or, or cover that that stem on you, lantana? You run, you run the risk of it rotting, filling full of water, and then getting a sudden freeze and splitting that tissue down in there. So um, there are some you know some grasses I, I prefer to do that with so that they don't freeze in the center. Yeah. Uh, but you can just let you know if you're buying mulch for fall just save the bags and cut them up in little pieces mm-hmm. and just cover the crown doesn't have to be big you know three inch by three inch so that you still want water to get around it you want air to get around it but it helps keep water out of that crown you know yeah. and any you know i like to do it on things like collyhawks um mm-hmm. you know where it's likely to in our soil hold a lot of water so if mm. we keep it out of that crown I think you have a much better success or chance mm-hmm. of it surviving. We, you see the picture of the lantana that I posted on the Facebook page was like almost my height. And um, Lord, I know it's <clears throat> just beautiful, but it comes back. It's for 10 years and it's in part shade. And I'm keep thinking there's no way this is going to come back this year. Hmm. We'll be right back. morning gardeners welcome back to mid-south gardening we're just sitting here talking about water gardens um because you know we love to do water gardens when it's really hot Hmm. but as we progress into fall we got to clean our water gardens out too you know taking all the plants that slowly start not like in the cool weather like the water lettuce the water hyacinths because those those won't make it i mean they're just annuals now what about the water lilies and the lotus what do y'all do with those leave just leave them, them outside just leave them alone yep, yep. they're fine they don't yeah. just turn into like slime and yeah. they do nope they no, froze yeah. solid last year and came back with a vengeance mm-hmm. isn't that so yeah now yeah when mm-hmm. they're dying off i mean when your pond is like balanced when it's dying off the bacteria and microorganisms break that stuff down when it's balanced but a lot of times you've got leaves falling in your pond muck and all and you've got to take everything out and get that muck out once but, a year yeah, every two years you just kind of you know probably every year is yeah. best okay you know now you know the nice thing about the way i water garden in the containers you don't have to do that mm-hmm. you know because you're getting almost no leaves in them um the only thing you have to do is particularly on lotus divide them every about every two years uh, otherwise they just fill up the pot and they don't perform well um so but yeah water lilies you know right now they're absolutely beautiful i mean they i'm in a spell right now where there are not any flowers but the foliage looks great i mean they make a nice looking container and you'll just leave that thing alone and just 
just don't touch it again until when? Yep, just add water if I need to. And when it starts growing, start seeing some leaves moving towards the surface, then uh, then I'll start hitting it with water tablets, the, uh, the, the agroform tablets, and uh, start forcing the growth on. And that's usually mid-April or so when the water temperature starts to get up. And it yeah. just baffles me that is how low maintenance that is. Right, right. And, you know, when you're cleaning your pond out, you don't want to scrub the sides. A lot of people want their ponds to be perfectly clear. But then plants and fish, all that, they they don't really like that. Hold on a minute. I mean, like clear, like the sides, just as clean as can be. Yeah. I mean, if you could take the time to get all that water out, get the plants out, put, get the fish yeah. out, to clean it, you're telling me you're not just scrubbing that thing down to no. just... No, because you want to get your balance set back up. And if you take all the microorganisms out and the bacterias and the beneficial stuff, then they've got, that's got to build back up also. So you're really cleaning that thing just to get the sludge out of there? Just the, to get the stuff off the bottom, yeah. If it's thick, you know, um, you can put, there are some products you can put in there to help mm. break it down. But if you get, if it starts breaking down, you basically get this little layer of soil in the mm. bottom of the pond. And things like koi just love to root through that because you'll end up <laughs> <Yeah>. getting <laughs> insects growing in it. And so they're in there trying to find it, which stirs it up and gets your keeps your water from being crystal clear. Okay, mm-hmm. so the the sedimentation at the bottom of your pond, your aquatic pond, is not really hurting anything. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're trying for your personal use to make the water more clear where well, you can enjoy it better than, say, muddy water. Right. Wow. The yeah. Only, the only right. real downside is if you have that organic matter in the bottom and the water temperature is really warm, we're talking where it's gotten up in near 90 degrees you or can something. in the summertime. Sure. And then you get a summer rain on it that has very cold water. What will happen is you'll get that layer of cold water on the top and suddenly it will reverse, sink to the bottom. And when it does, it brings up anaerobic bacteria into the water, which causes the fish to get air stressed. Mm-hmm. And if your Lord. fish load is too heavy, then you'll get a fish die off, and it'll be your biggest ones. And, you know, the ones that They're will survive, to go, if yeah. any survive, will be it the little tiny ones. ones. Right. I'll be darn okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so, so good don't to press, know. Yeah, don't pressure wash your rocks on the waterfall. Yeah, it's all oh. good stuff. You yeah, know. yeah. So it's not, but I mean, you do like some people that are under trees and they're not putting the netting, you have to clean it all out. And I still try to get the guys to leave a little bit of sediment on the bottom, but that's just so hard to do because when you're cleaning, you're cleaning, but don't take, I saw them start sitting in the middle of the pond after Mm -hmm. it was dry with a cloth and was cleaning Brush. the water. That'd be like, me out there doing yeah, that. Like, yeah, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing here. Now, what about but your water's still clear even if you have sediment on the bottom? I got you. Now, what about you? You don't. The perfect scenario is not having a nice outdoor pond in full sun either, right? Because uh-huh. don't you get more algae bloom in that full sun area early than in, you would? early in the season? Yes. Okay, because okay. the water's warming up and the algae's the first thing to kick in. It should turn pea green, but that's a normal. Okay. okay. And it's also very healthy for the fish. But then as your lotus, your water lilies begin to grow, they're the real nitrogen hogs, and they'll starve that algae off. Two things are happening. They're putting foliage over it, which helps shade it. Okay. Uh, but then they're feeding on that nitrogen. So eventually it will, 
it will die off. Now, acceptable pond water is being able to see your fish at 12 inches deep. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's a healthy environment. Crystal clear swimming quality water can be done, but mm-hmm. it's not... That's, that's not the goal, you're it's saying, It's not Jim. really. Yeah. Okay. And if that's what you want, that's fine. But it's it's not the, the healthiest pond. Right, right. Yeah, so you, and then eventually you start getting little issues here and there. You start disturbing it more because you're trying to keep it so clear. So then people are cleaning it more often, more than you need to. And see, I've never had a koi pond. That's why, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've seen them and I've talked to people about them and I know about them, mm-hmm. but... I've never had one myself, and it's nothing like experiencing, you know, walking out there every day and seeing the changes and you know what. But it kind of struck me when you said a while ago, Vady, that when you're cleaning these things out, Jim, that you're not really scrubbing that thing because that's the first thing I would be doing. If I'm only doing it once a year, I'm going to make it count, right? Mm -hmm. But you're saying not so fast. That that stuff that's on the side of these ponds, that's not the bad stuff. You're just getting that gook out of the bottom of the thing. Yeah, and a lot of people, too, when they're cleaning out their filter pad or something, mm. they'll take it and just take it and wash, wash it out. Yeah. With, yeah. And you really shouldn't do that because mm. you're taking away all the bacteria. All you want to yeah. do is get the crud off of it that's blocking air of the water movement through it. Mm-hmm. So just take it over somewhere and just hit it against some rocks or something, get the crud off of it, and then put it back in there. And you don't lose that nitrification. That nitro, nitro, that that bacteria. (laughs) See the way uh, you went around that word. Yeah, that um, you really need to keep the water clear, you know, because the filter does a huge, takes a huge amount of nitrogen out of the water, and every time you put some in, um, the your water hose, the water coming from it or from the sky is nitrogen rich. Yes. You know, and so you'll usually get a little green, you know, if you've had a lot of rain. After some heavy rain, yeah. yeah. But it'll clear up in a day or two. And then I like taking the filter and washing it out in a bucket of water and then using the water to water vegetables with or containers with, you know. I just, it's like if I don't, if I have a cup of water at home with ice in it and it's so good, delicious, full of water, but then it's time to go to work. And I don't want to take the water in my cooler, but I don't want to dump the water down the sink. So I take it all the way out to the front porch and water the plants with it. I just have to recycle everything. It makes me insane. My wife does that. You know, when the dog's yeah. water needs to be, we keep a bowl outside because mm-hmm. of the five dogs. Um, and when she's going to clean it and refill it, she takes it, pours it over in the bamboo or something, you know, uh-huh. and waters it. So. Oh, that's good. You said not to you did it. say five dogs, didn't you? We do. Yes, mm-hmm. we have uh, we have four rescues and one purebred. Nice, fun. Yeah. Oh, now, one and, other and thing. Say, when when Jim says bamboo, he means clumping bamboo. By right, the way, yeah, well, this one is actually a running bamboo. Oh, he's it's, lost his it's, mind. It's in a container. <laughs> it's oh, in a okay. container. Oh, okay. Did, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. Oh, the other thing, like Jim had said, when you have your water gardens in containers, you can. And it is so much easier um, than a big pond, of course, mm-hmm. of course. But and what size of pond do you the, need for well, a water this lily? This one is well, shoot, About I've got a, a fifteen gallon mm-hmm. is probably oh, ideal. Yeah. Now there are some dwarf water lilies that you could probably get by with a five gallon. But for the most part, a fifteen gallon, just a regular lotus or water lily. No, lo- lotus, I would go up to about a twenty-five gallon. A little bigger. Now there again, there are some dwarf ones that you can grow in very small bowls. But they're not spectacular. Okay. Okay. I mean, the, you don't have the, the huge flowers like you get on the regular lotus. 
but it's like the whole balance because in the little container I've got underwater grass. I have one um, tall plant, like an iris, and can, where it's sticking up. A water lily. It's a smaller water lily, like you were talking about. One time I did a big water lily, and it's thing trailing out of the pot, and then it died off. And then, like, um, some of that little frog bit and a zola mm-hmm. that's floating on top. And those little containers, they just stay beautifully clear like that. I don't do anything. So... You know, to me, I would have just the lily in there, let it mm-hmm. just take over. But I, you know how I know how you love to create containers. Yes, mixed gardens are absolutely beautiful. But I'm always thinking about creating a container with potting soil. Here you oh, are creating yeah. one with, with water. water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then we do the same thing in the pond, though, but at a bigger scale. Underwater grasses for the clarity. The yeah, if if fish, fish are the most important thing in your life there when you're looking at a pond... Then you need to do a pond, okay? Yes. Uh, because the foliage will cover everything. Now, I usually throw some feeder goldfish in each of the pot, you know, three or four, uh, to help keep the mm-hmm. mosquito larvae down because three or four will just eliminate your mosquitoes. <laughs> you won't have any out of them. Um, even, but I still use the bits. Um, I was using the rings, you know, but the old oldest dog decided those were treats <laughs> and went around to every pot and ate them out. He's talking That's about so those cute. mosquito dogs that yeah. uh-huh. so you like a donut to them. Oh, I love it! Look at the treats in the water. <laughs> Little noses just a going. Okay, let's go to a break, and we'll we've be got right back. More fun. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. It just showed us the picture of all his five puppy dogs. And, you know, that's animals are just part of gardening, too. They look They're great. They're so fun to be out in the garden. My, I had a big lab that would um, Eat play, everything with the, in sight. Play, play with the big fish that I had in one of my ponds. And the, this pond was a raised pond, landscape timber, like four high. So he could just walk up to it and just put his nose in there and the fish would come up so when he's drinking i guess it was bubbling the water aerating the water and the fish would come up under and it looked like he's kissing all the fish and then on a hot day he just lays in there yeah he just lays in the pond the, so, I mean, uh, that's exciting and fun to watch. The water <coughs> gardens bring a lot of joy in many different ways. I have to agree. And the sound of water, too. I like that yeah. in the summertime. If you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. Yeah. Uh, and you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text or see us live right mm-hmm. there. If you miss all this, uh, streaming live, what, all the time, yeah. uh, com. Right, right. One more water garden thing. I showed <coughs> Jim the picture, and i got to show you. But, of course, we have fountains at work. And I was able to get um, at this a great angle where all the water that's dripping out of the fountain as it's running looks like jewels hanging down. It's real colorful. If y'all go on the Palladio Instagram, you yeah. can see the awesome. Now, did picture. you take that picture yourself? I did. All I right. did. I got to show it to you in a minute. But I'm just cannot believe I got a picture like that. Looks that, really it, good. Yeah, it's like little jewels. You know, fountain, water fountains are. You know, I love the sound of them, but it's very difficult to get them. Uh, level <laughs> enough so that you get water equal out of right. every little place it's supposed to fall. Right. Because, uh, I mean, just a fraction of an inch, and it'll have more on one side than the other. Mm-hmm. But she's got this one just perfectly balanced, and it does. It looks like it looks like um, um, crystals just yeah. hanging yeah. down individually. You can see every one of them. Because it's balanced. There, right. just, a, just a really good picture. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Since we do that, for we insta- install 
fountains. But, you know, we do. It's it's like uh, Jim was saying, you know, you've got to have all the holes clear and everything like that. But it's a, it's a thing. You just don't leave your holes. What do you mean fountain. the holes clear? Yeah, all the because they can get uh, filled with sediment. Oh, in, a lot in of each times. fountain level, yeah. you're yeah. talking about. Okay, right. and then you've got half of it running, and then of course the leveling. But in one of our services, we go out uh, winter, cover clean, and then come back in the spring, uncover clean, yeah. level, check the pump, and all that, and then periodically. You've got to visit it maybe, depending on the fountain, a couple of times a year just to clean it again. And, um, I mean, it's kind of like an irrigation system, yeah. you know? And right. that fountain. You've got to check them yeah. just about every day in yeah. this hot weather yeah. and add water to them. Right. Some yeah. people put floats in them off their irrigation. They'll uh, attach it to the irrigation, and there'll be a float in the water so level. So they don't have so to worry it, about filling it up with water. Yeah, it does it, it for it them. It does it for it. Like with us, our irrigation at work keeps ours full. <laughs> So, um, but um, the other thing was to oh the fountain tech, that really cuts back now, on your algae. That? It's it's also like a clarifier for your water features that you just pour in the water. Yeah, so it, it actually gets you to skip a, a cleaning of it because it works so well. Fountain tech, so which seemed like nothing would work, but that works good. So a lot of people don't want to do things like that because they feel like it's too much trouble. But it's just an Another project like pruning your shrubs. Eating breakfast. Yeah, good point. <laughs> That's true. I mean, the joy of just being out there with it is great. Well, you know, we had Tim that called this morning. He was talking about, you know, the transition period as far as planting grass seed, mm. planting fall annuals, and even planting fall vegetables. Um, and I wrote down in my notes, uh, you know, just a t- simple term, fescue, Okay. We all know that fescue is a grass that would typically grow in these shaded environments, usually under trees, where Bermudan zoysia won't grow because you're just not getting enough sun for it. And like I've said a thousand times, we've seen so many people plant zoysia under a tree where it just doesn't get the proper amount of light. And then two years down the road, the zoysia's gone. You yeah. know, it just thins yeah. out. It looks horrible. And one of the reasons that, you know, the fescue grows in the shade is because it's not really growing, Okay. It's dormant when the trees have leaves on them. Uh, it True. gets some high light, which is it, it is key uses, but it's not actively growing when your soil temperature gets up around 70 degrees. So when it starts actively growing, the trees have lost their leaves. Mm-hmm. It's in full sunlight, That's basically. exactly right. You know? Yeah, because that's the fall, the winter, and the spring is when you get most of your growth on fescue. And like Jim was saying, when it gets hot in the summertime, with the Bermudan zoysias growing perfectly fine... That fescue is just kind of sitting there mm-hmm. in the shade, but mm-hmm. you've got grass up under that tree where Bermudan zoysia won't grow. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's uh, that's one of our things about Memphis is we can still grow a lot of things, but you've you've got to work a little harder on the timing of things. Well, yeah, and with and with fescue, you know, fall really is the best time to sow that seed. Uh, early spring is the next best time because you do want to have a decent root system on that particular grass before it gets hot in the summertime. So it's just kind of like the opposite of Bermudan zoysia. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a five-star fescue. There's tons of fescues on the market. But what we've always sowed has been five-star and five-star extreme. Five-star is the old-fashioned blended fescue. It's got five hybrid fescues that do well in this area, and they blend all those together. That way you've got, instead of just one fescue to rely on, you have those other traits to rely on. And then they came out with five-star extreme which is also a blended fescue of five different hybrid fescues. The difference is 
The five-star extreme can even tolerate deeper shade. So it is one of those things where we're starting to sell probably more five-star extreme now across the board uh, than we are just regular five-star. Because it'll grow anywhere a regular five-star would grow, but it will also tolerate deeper shade. But like Jim was saying uh, to Tim a while ago when he called, one of the biggest things is to rough that ground up. You're exactly right. You don't want to go out there and just sow that seed and have it laying there on top of hard, dry ground. You can't expect a whole lot. So either you rough that ground up really good in the bare spots or the whole area, sow the seed, uh, and either come back and rough it in or come back and lightly cover it with some topsoil. You do want that seed slightly just embedded in the soil. And then, like we're talking about, just keep it moist every day. Usually comes up in about 10 days, two weeks. Now, the other thing is when it comes up, it's going to look beautiful. I'm telling you, keep it watered, keep it cut high. But when those leaves really start coming down later on this fall, you want to try your best to keep the leaves off of that fescue. And I'm not saying you got to keep every leaf off. You don't want to just let it pile up on there. Then you get a heavy rain, it beats it down, and it just melts it out. Mm-hmm. So you go through all that hard yeah. work, getting the stuff up, getting it going, and then have the leaves just smother it with that heavy rain. So try to keep it as clean as you possibly can. And then, of course, you know, keep it watered in the summertime. And it's one of those, they and Jim, y'all know this, to where I don't care what you do in the summer, you're going to lose some fescue. You just are with our heat. So you almost have to go out there and overseed every fall or early spring, fall being the best, just to perpetuate it from year to year. But remember, the fescues are the grasses that will grow in that shade where Bermuda and zoysia won't grow. And that's the beauty of it. And you know how many mm-hmm. trees are around here, big oak trees? Yeah. Well, if our storms <clears throat> keep happening. Well, you're not right. true. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I hope people are planting back. They are, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not another oak, but they are yeah. planting other trees. Um, also, you know, I would take the time. Uh, if you need to add some lime, go ahead and put some lime down the same day you're putting your seed down. You can put a little fertilizer down. Uh, whether it's a new lawn starter or organic fertilizer down, uh, the same time you're putting that seed down, not a problem. And the biggest thing is just keeping that stuff moist on a daily basis. And I'm telling you, it comes up in no time. It's beautiful grass. Oh, it's we've done an hour. We've got two more to go, y'all. So get your coffee and tea and all that and get ready for another hour. Get your questions together. You can call us 901-260-5926. <laughs> The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to the second hour of Mid-South Garden. I'm Veda with Palladio. And I'm unemployed. <laughs> it's a good thing, because you keep us together, Jim. <laughs> he just cracks me I'm up. I'm Jim Crowder, retired nurseman. Yep. Oh, you know what? I saw something that was so funny. Uh, okay, it wasn't so funny, but it was interesting. Um, looking on, you know, some social media or something I was reading that wasn't social media. There's this uh, little, you know, where you find these scrolls and like tablets a, and things like that. So that's an old piece of paper? Yeah, old piece of paper. Or is it wrote on a rock? But it's like it's this 3,200-year-old attendance sheet found in Egypt. An attendance to like a like it, chariot race or what? Like at work, like when we put in reasons that people don't come to work yeah. or they're late. 
Well, reasons for workers' absence included on this piece of paper, they couldn't come to work because I was embalming my brother. I couldn't come to work because I was brewing beer. I couldn't come to work because I was bitten by a scorpion. So even 3,200 years ago. Same old stuff. Yeah, same old. Now, I haven't had somebody say I couldn't come to work because Because they're bombing somebody. Yeah, Yeah, or bitten by a scorpion. But it just shows of the times the excuses. (laughs) But I can't. Sorry, I'm embalming my brother. (laughs) Well, you you need to take off. Right. Yeah, that's excused. You are excused. Good Lord. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what's on your list next besides my bizarre stuff? Uh, well, you got pansies and violas that people are going to start talking about. In fact, we already are. We're already starting to sell some. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, what is the difference between, say, a pansy and a viola? And, Jim, you can uh, – there's another one called panolas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but pansies were derived from violas. Think about that. So pansies came from violas, okay? Um, so technically all pansies are violas, but not all violas are pansies. Now, is that the riddle of the day? Kind of like mm. all daffodils are narcissus, but not all narcissus are daffodils, okay? Or sort of like a mule isn't a mule, but it's a donkey and a horse. <laughs> what does she mean by that, Jim? <laughs> Well, she was looking at you. I'm not sure. <laughs> Donkey and horse, we're both sitting over here. So pansies, um, oh, well, let's start with the violas. Violas are usually shorter. They have more, uh, more but smaller blooms. Uh, they usually trail more than pansies. Um, violas are also tougher in the wintertime than pansies. Um, so for you know that, you tend to get more bloom in January and February than you would pansies. So uh, it has uh, smaller blooms. Um, not as uh, tall, for say, as mm-hmm. the pansies, typically speaking. Um, much more winter cold tolerant, yeah. tougher in the wintertime, mm-hmm. uh, like they said, tends to trail a little more than pansies. And it's like the old Johnny Jump Ups, you know, and I love them. I mean, and I love pansies too, but I, I still love the violas with that smaller bloom. Um, now, when it comes to pansies, they usually have a larger bloom, and that's what's so attractive about these pansies. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, there are some like the Colossus and the Deltas and some of those that have a major, just a yeah. big bloom on them. Um, and they really need more sun because violas are more shade tolerant also. Um, so, you know, if you've got a container, uh, let's just say a container, you can plant both pansies and violas. I've seen a lot of people mix the two together. But if you have a situation where you're not getting quite the sun that you need for pansies, then that might be a better place for the violas, Jim, because they are a little more shade tolerant. But now when it comes to actually care, uh, you treat these things exactly the same. Um, you know, So when people put them in the ground, they're starting to put them in the ground now, uh, you can either use a granulated fertilizer that's completely non-burning, and whether that's uh, you know like a start and grow or a bedding plant food that's got a good bit of phosphate in it, or a water-soluble plant food, like the blooming and rooting plant food. Any of those are fine, but you do want to get them in there um, and come back and feed them. And then, like we say, a light mulch you know, around them is perfectly fine, and then just keep them hydrated. But it's uh, a lot of people will see the violas and the pansies and want to know what's the difference, other than the appearance, of course, because we all know that Johnny Jump Ups or violas are going to have that smaller mm-hmm. bloom on them. 
And then, Jim, you said there is one called Panola, the Panola and I haven't seen a, any of those yet. Yeah, it's a hybrid mm. between the two. Uh, and then we have, you know, we have some new, even uh, trailing pansies mm-hmm. now. Uh, are they being offered under the Wave series? Yeah, it's yeah. the Wave pansy. I hadn't seen yeah. any of those yet either, uh, but there is a Wave-type pansy, yes. Right. So, But you're, you know, you're right, the same sort of care for all of them. Now, the fertilizer regimen I personally like is to use basically an old purpose. It's got a good bit of phosphorus and potash in it, um, and then supplement it monthly with nitrate of soda. Um, nitrate nitrogen is absorbed by the plant regardless of the soil temperature. Right. So it can be very cold, and you can put it down, and it will still work. Uh, whereas if you're using things like ammoniacal nitrogen, it will not be available to the plant until the soil temperature gets back up to around 60. Yeah. So. And, you know, you can't find uh, nitrate of soda in it. Well, you might be able to find some still on the shelf, but they're not mm, – nitrate of soda, anyway, by high yield, is no longer available, but the calcium nitrate is. Calcium and, nitrate. and it has the same basic same, analysis, same thing, right? Yeah. Well, one thing also that seems a little different to me with Johnny Jump Ups is they, they can tolerate the heat better and shade better. Also, yeah, we said more shade tolerant, but mm-hmm. I didn't know about the heat though, Veda. Yeah, yeah, they do seem. It's it's like when I watch the whole progression, the viol- violas are left longer, and even in my containers, I did pansies and violas, and of course the pansies uh, left early, but my violas hung on until the begin end of June. Although we did have some cooler spring summer weather actually yeah. but i always have the violas around longer than the pansies then we always say you know especially if you're planting a bed of tulips you know mm-hmm. usually you'll plant your tulip bulbs around thanksgiving uh, there's some great looking beds in the spring where they'll go out there and interplant these pansies uh in the bed where they planted the tulips of course the pansies look great through the fall and winter and early spring but when the tulips really start to come up and bloom and you got both mm-hmm. of those out there blooming at the same time it's nothing like it. I'm telling you. A lot of people I do that know, on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did that on purpose. You know, it's to Thank accidentally you. create something right. really nice, yeah. right? Thank you. I did that on purpose. Yeah, you can still do container gardens all for the winter, too, because there's plenty of wintergreen stuff. You know, I've, a lot of people start shutting their gardens down, it seems, and forget about the fact that you can have beauty in the winter months also. And that comes with the choice of plants, too. So, um, just know we've still got all rest of the year to garden. I mean, we are technically 365 oh, yeah. debt gardeners here. There's always something to do except for the, well, see, actually, even though those days we were snowed inside, there's a plethora of house plants that are so cool and different and colorful and unique. Mm-hmm. So you can still get your fix indoors too. So it's always something to do with plants around here. Yeah, and we're always bragging about, you know, I say bragging how houseplants have just taken off in the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I never dreamed uh, in my lifetime that I would see people swarming to houseplants the way they are. And it actually started right before COVID. And then COVID mm-hmm. was like just really the kick kickstart yeah. of people buying plants and bringing them indoors because they wanted that green inside, Veda. And then, you know, it, it wasn't just the old run-of-the-mill house plants anymore. The, you know, the old-fashioned ficus mm-hmm. or the old-fashioned philodendron or pothos or, pothos or whatever. They want the newest, yeah. <laughs> brightest thing out there. 
And they're even going out, people that buy a lot of these houseplants. I told you about the lady that showed me her racks the other day that had like 470 houseplants on it. Looked beautiful. A lot of those were very rare houseplants that you got to really, mm-hmm. first of all, they're not cheap. Right, and, right. And a lot of them, you got to, you know, you got to check around and you got to be patient to even get these things because a lot of these unique houseplants now yeah. are from tissue cultures. Mm-hmm. And not all the tissue cultures perform. You know, let's say there's a a philodendron that has that that reddish or orange looking leaf, and they do that from tissue cultures. That's the only way they can produce this plant. And let's say they do a hundred tissue cultures, right? Well, maybe three or four of those come out the way they want them. That's why they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But that's oh the gosh. ones that people want. The mm-hmm. ones that are collecting house plants. Yeah, like we have one called Skeleton Key Pothos. It's just the coolest looking thing. I had no idea leaves could grow this way, form this way. And there's more and more and more keep coming out of the new stuff. And I could, I do have a section on houseplants that I want to talk about. But also, um, Audrey Fielding asked, how difficult is having a worm farm? I guess some stories on that one. But we'll go over that too. But we're running to a break. And um, we'll be right back. You're listening to KWAM Mighty 990. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And if you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And you can always shoot us a text on the uh, Mighty 990 Facebook page. And uh, Miss, who is that? Audrey was curious about the worm farm. Yeah. Wow, worm farm. Okay, so I can tell you from my experience... And I think I was only like 11. <laughs> but my dad had a worm farm. A couple years for ago. for fun. Yeah, yeah, a couple years ago. <clears throat> for fun, I think it was like 10 feet by 5 feet. and A bed or what was yeah, it? Yeah, it was a bed, raised bed. Yeah. And, of course, it was built and everything. And he got the worms and put all the worms in there. We had like a, a slight tent cover on it and then a light in it okay and uh (laughs) this is just all i'm remembering i don't know the whole details but it was really interesting to dig in it and all of that well for some reason i left the light off okay and the worms just all climbed out of the bed really just they just left the bed i don't know is that i I know and it's just when i'm going am i remembering correctly but there was something that made all the worms leave, and it was just creepy. It was really weird. Well, let me say, th- but no, I. It's not hard to do a worm bed. Well, I don't know really. enough about it, Jim. Have you ever done one? I have not. Oh, no, we had uh, we had a worm farm in a container at the uh, the botanic gardens that we did. You know, and we put food scraps in there and stuff like that. For but them. I mean, I guess you mm-hmm. would start like Veda said with a raised bed. I've even seen and heard people have raised beds. In a big building where they're, yeah. you know, they're under a roof yeah. mm-hmm. uh, where you can monitor the water. But they'll have these raised beds in there. They'll, of course, add the worms. And I think there's certain worms that they like to use. Because the red what, wigglers. Yeah, the, maybe yeah. the red wigglers. Because what they're trying to do, they want the earthworm castings. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can sell a few worms here and there. That's all fine and good. But it's the castings that people want. Because uh, that's the worm manure, if you will. Um but I don't think it'd be that hard to make your no, own worm castings, would it? No, I think the main thing is being able to control the water. 
Right. You know, if, if your soil gets too wet, they will leave. They'll oh, climb out because uh, they have to have air to to um, to live. It's the reason when you see people who pull off cardboard and stuff they've had on there, and there's worms all up underneath there, and they think, mm-hmm. "Wow, you know, this has been really good for my garden." I've had worms. Well, the worms are there because they couldn't breathe below that. Okay, <laughs> you that force them to the surface. <laughs> Well, uh, also, like, people would put a lot like, of worms in their compost pile. Yeah. But that would be to break down the compost and all. But when you're doing a worm farm, like you said, it's just strictly for the worm casting. But, you know, but it's peop- the soil you have to start. You, because the worms will leave if the soil's bad. And, and, They're and not going to hang around. And I forget, you know, Mr. Willoughby, remember him? Yeah, we used to get yeah. the, the really pure earthworm mm-hmm. castings from Mr. Willoughby I think. When, yeah. he was, um, when he was selling it. Uh, but I don't, you know, I mean, they feed these worms. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's cornmeal. Well, I have no idea. But, uh, I mean, for Audrey, I mean, you can get online and get on YouTube or whatever and, and read a ton about, uh, you know, earthworm farming. Uh, I've just never done it myself, but I just telling you, it's it, to make to get those earthworm castings. That stuff is the best stuff in the world. Well, he was growing the worms more than the soil because we did a lot of fishing. Well, so we he sold a lot of, of those fishing. castings, also. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I mean, we lived out in the country, so there was plenty of good soil and all. Because every time he yeah. planted something, he would just get it under a bunch of leaves or like that. So we weren't trying to make the soil; we were just. Well, it's a project for kids, and then, of course, we're going fishing, so it's fun to worms. dig the worms out, put them in your bucket, and then you get to thread them on the hook, which <laughs> We've was all my done it most saddest part. When you're growing up, you don't realize, I think, too much about putting the worm on the hook. No, you, about there's enough saddening. worms out there. No, there's saddening. It, well, you, then you got to think about it's the that worm, not all those worms. I'm just thinking about that one worm or the cricket. But then the joy you get when you get that nice fish. I too. know that was fun too. Although I caught cash fit, catfish with bread, you know, and I'm like, why are we using worms when you can do this with bread? Yeah, the best catfish now I she's ever fishing with bread, caught. Jim. We're walking on the deck and we set our fishing poles down. And the uh, hooks fell in between the planks. And then all of a sudden, our fishing poles are popping around the deck. And we've got catfish (laughs) with no food on the hook. The best catfish, the biggest I ever caught. And couldn't get it. Couldn't get it through the deck. Slats. (laughs) What's going on? But most of your garden centers, uh, if you want to take the easy way out, they're going to carry earthworm castings. Uh, and Veda, I know that you used to use it and probably still use it oh, a lot yeah. in your, especially your, of course, you can use it anywhere you have soil, but uh, especially for container-grown plants. And I know mm-hmm. that you've used it extensively in container-grown plants and also in your house plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, I mean, is it one of those things, Veda, like when you're potting up a pot, you'll get a high-quality potting median, a potting soil, and you'll always add a couple handfuls of earthworm castings at that point, right? Well, Before I, you even plant or right, come back later I on. I used to add the worm castings, but then when I got, we carry a different soil mix. Right. And y'all do too, that right. has the earthworm castings in it. That's right. So now buying a quality potting soil, because it has so much in it, you can immediately plant and not have to fertilize. But I still like to use root stimulator. But then as time progresses, I'm adding the worm cast. And is that like once a year you'll come and do a little top dressing? Oh, about with... three times a year okay. for containers and then the liquid too. Yeah, there's a product called Thrive. Not Super Thrive, but T-H-R-I-V-E. And I'm sure there's other. And that's liquid earthworm castings. 
So you've got it in a liquid form that you just dilute and pour or spray. Uh, And then the earthworm castings themselves, which is just nothing more, like we said, than than compost. But if you read about earthworm castings, they've got these great proteins and enzymes in there, um, you know, more than some of the other composted products do. And that's what just makes it so good. And, of course, it does all, you know, it like any compost, not only is it there for a nutrient value, it also it helps loosen up any soil that you put it in. So, yeah. yeah. It's good aeration. So, yep, y'all get a bag. I mean, you, you buy it in bags, in bags. Of, uh, so a lot of folks are thinking, where do I get the worm castings? No, you can sell them. They're in bags. Oh, yeah. It's not stinky. No. It's not sticky. It's not gross. It's just nice, crumbly, fresh dirt that's great to top off your soil for containers and house plants and then of course uh, i've always used it around uh some things that i want to be that are kind of picky or so you want to put that extra little touch you know like roses and clematis and fruit trees i mean i'm not putting earthworm crastings around hollies you're right you know, right, you're not going to waste that, that beautiful yeah. compost around a holly that's going to grow don't anyway. Need it. They're fine, yeah. Well, but it also begs the question that when you're planting things in containers, and we've preached this forever, is you want a good, high quality potting soil to start with. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't yeah. want to use a topsoil, you don't want to use a garden soil in a container where you're trying to grow things. Now, I love topsoils to work into the soil and, and composted mm-hmm. products like the cotton birds. And even the garden soil. I love all those products, but I, that's what I'm working into my beds. But when it comes to a container and I'm trying to grow something in a container, whether it's a hanging basket or a pot, I'm using a good, high-quality potting soil to start with, Miss Veda. Uh, and it, tell you, it makes all the difference in the world. And a lot of that has to do with how heavy the soil is, how it holds moisture, but also the biggest thing is how it drains. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Boy, I tell you what, that soil is a big difference. I can, I mean, I did containers when we first moved in. I brought all the containers upstairs, you know, on the balcony, and the soil was pretty well okay. But I didn't have uh, time to to really upgrade that soil. And I tell you what, I put plants in there, and then the next year, I'm like, okay, the soil's getting better. But then I'm mixing soil, finding dry soil, because everything was happening so fast, I didn't have time to get the good soil up the stairs. I could just get the plants up. Well, finally, I was able, like I said, to get those heavy bags up on the um, balcony and mixed all that soil, really mixed my containers well. And you the the care for them this year was so much easier than the previous oh, there's years no doubt about I really it. didn't have my soil right. No doubt about it. Yeah. You know, and then some of the soils are so light, you can blow them out of your hand, and they hold no moisture whatsoever, and water just runs through them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like watering. You know, water, watering sounds very simple, but we know how complex it can be. Potting soils are kind of the same way. It sounds like, eh, oh, a bag of potting soil, but it's a little bit more involved than just eh, a bag of potting soil, you know? Mm-hmm. It really is. It makes a big difference. Jim, I'm looking at you. (laughs) I've never seen two people talk so passionately about worm paper in my life. Well, it's good stuff is all I'm saying. And all compost is good. I mean, Mm. don't get me wrong. I mean, there's the cotton burrs, the cotton burr blends, all the different manures, Jim, the chickens, the cow, the sheep, all those. They're all good. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. But I still... I still like those earthworm castings, too, I'm telling you. You know what I was going to bring up here, and I forgot. Remember, all three of us um, added 
or helped write the um, Mid South Garden Guide. Yeah, the Mid South Garden Guide. So I pulled it out and was looking at it the other day. And uh, how? What year was that? That that was done. That was like a while back. Mm-hmm, and yeah. uh, so I'm wondering if it's time for another. But the Memphis Mid South Gardening Guide, I'm sure it's still available. Oh, That's yeah. a nice thick book with tons of information. Well, it's the Gardener's Bible. I'm yeah, telling you. Kenneth and Jim and I have contributed to that, and you can get some good information. Plus, so many good gardeners around. I just that just popped in my head as we're talking about all this stuff. Um, because all three of us have like different things. And things change we, also. Things that were good 10 years ago, maybe some things are better now. Right. Okay, y'all, we'll be right back. And uh, Jim's got a lot to say on the next break. <laughs> good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the Mid-South Gardening you know, you can listen to our podcast anytime if you're not up or if you're falling asleep and need to listen back. You can listen to our podcast. You can call Where us Where do you find the podcast? You find it on podcast. So I can type in podcast. <laughs> right, type in podcast. Uh, now, when I did it, I just typed in Mid-South Gardening Podcast uh-huh. is what I, I Googled because I wasn't yeah. familiar with it. But but if you go to the, go to the um, 990 AM website. And this yeah. little menu up on the top right-hand corner, click it, and it has podcasts. Yeah. And you click that, mm-hmm. and it takes you over, and it shows you each of the shows that has a podcast. And then you just go down and pick Mid-South Gardening mm-hmm. and listen to your heart's content. That's Good. easy. That's the, that's so much Man, easier. Man, that's easy listening when you're mighty, doing some work outside. It's the Mighty990.com. KWMRadio.com. Yeah, yeah. So that way... Uh, Facebook page, uh, you can find out great information there. And um, you can come to the garden centers and visit us. Absolutely. And if you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And you know you can reach us anytime during the week at our <laughs> Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, <laughs> Gardening in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. And, and a lot of people do that, Jim. Thousands, yes, I should say. Miriam, this fall we're getting... I mean, it's really picked up here in the last uh, week or 10 days. You're going to need an assistant before it's all said and done, know, I'm telling I you. Yeah. I don't know how in the world you go in there, and thank God that you do. Don't get me wrong. And I think it's great, Jim. But I don't know how you go in there and read every post and really almost reply to to most of them. Because I don't sleep well. You know? uh, <laughs> I, post, I posted one this morning yeah. at like 3 o'clock. Right. You know, I answered a question. I hope the phone didn't wake somebody up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder about that too. But I'm like, do even, I wait or do I go ahead and text? But even mm-hmm. some people that come into the garden center, and they'll, um, you know, a, lo- a lot of people come in with uh, questions about problems they're having, and they'll bring in samples and everything else. And Jim, um, you could probably just hand me over some of this the, the cash. Because I'm sending a lot of people that have never even heard of it. I said, look, you need to really check this thing out. Um, Because, I mean, it is, first of all, it's gardeners. And it's gardeners, not only are they, you know, showing nice pictures of things that they've done, Mm -hmm. but most of the stuff on there, to me, probably 80% of the stuff on there are really just problems and questions Mm -hmm. uh, about what can I do or what can I do about this or that or whatever. And it's the, the, 
the learning part of it, uh, it to me is what's so good about it. Jim. Yeah, and, the, and what keep makes us different from other groups is that you've got gardeners answering the questions from experience. You do. We don't allow links where they somebody who really doesn't know what they're talking about goes and says, "Oh well, I found this article on this particular bug or insect," and they post a link. And that's no, because anybody could have. That's yeah. right, and and you know we don't know without reading the article, we don't know whether it's actually true or not. Uh, in or pre- rather pertains to this area. Right. So, uh, in fact, just this uh, week we had somebody just post a question, when's the last time to fertilize roses? And I've always fertilized the last time in October right. because we have uh, fl- roses till after Christmas. Yeah. You know, Very our ground extended. temperature's warm, you're getting good root development, you've got good availability of fertilizer, so you can really benefit your roses that way. But somebody answers said, well, the National American Rose Society or somebody recommends August Mm. as being last one and said, do your research, James. Yeah. And, you know, Uh, know, that's mean. (laughs) I know. I told them no no more snarky remarks. Um, But, you know, after 50 years in the business here and seeing roses and growing roses that that what pertains to this area may not you, you can't make a statement like, yeah. August is the last if you're in Louisiana or yeah. if you're in Maine, it's going yeah. to make a difference on where you grow it. Oh, no doubt about so, it. So, um, you know, roses are very heavy feeders and they really will benefit from being fed through October. And yeah. usually when I say October, mid October, that's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. you know, the, the time to do it. I like totally agree. I've fertilized roses during that time, you know, with worm castings and liquid fertilizer and all of that because you're building the soil. But our roses bloom till Christmas. Yes. Yeah. So it, yeah. it still needs some stuff. But it's like Jim said. I mean, honestly, this the further north you go, let's say if you're up in Maine, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you know you, last time you might feed them might be August. Yeah. You come down mm-hmm. south here yeah. in Tennessee, Louisiana, Florida, those areas, good Lord. There's not, on most questions, there's not going to be a definitive area that an answer to that applies to the yes. entire country. Yeah, but exactly. most of the things that you're seeing on your Facebook – uh, Mid-South Gardening is Mid-South stuff. Most of it is. About half of our members, of the our, our almost 10,000 members now, are Memphis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then about 25% of surrounding areas, Bartlett. I now. still call that but Memphis. But then yeah. we have about 25% that are outside the listening area of, of this radio program. Um, you know, we have some all over the world. Yeah. But, you know, they're, but we have... New York, we have California, yeah. Oregon, we have people that have found the site yeah. uh, and and are there, you know, monitoring it. You know, they don't always post, but because yeah. a small percentage actually does. But there's always really good pictures, really good answers, you know. Um, yeah, it's so. kind of like, you know, how you would go to your friends, your grandma's house, your aunt's house, and everybody would walk through the garden yes. and talk and look. Right. That's kind of like what your page is like. And then when you were talking about all the different answers that that are given for things, and it all depends on your area. I was on another forum, and this man had posted, and he's laughing. <clears throat> he goes, do you read all the answers to this question to why do my spider plants get uh, brown tips on the end? He goes, first is too much water, then it's not enough yeah. water, and then it's not enough sun, and it's yeah. too much sun. So, and he goes, so what's the answer? And all of them are the answer. You, need, you have to read more <laughs> than just that one thing of too much sun. But it's primarily salt. 
Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly. the other one. Yeah. And like, luckily here in uh, Memphis, with our Memphis water, I mean, everybody said, oh, only water with distilled, only water with distilled. Don't do anything else but distilled water. But we've got 500 houseplants in our building at any time. Oh, man, more than 500. And we don't use distilled water right. at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Jim, not only is the, you know, the pictures that they post and the questions, I mean, it's just a great learning tool, and that's what it's all oh, about. But I wanted to finish what I was saying. Sorry, I just I just realized I had more to that. It depends on where you live, on what your water is. Sure, too. yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we got great water around so here. We have be, the best water in the country. Yeah, so <laughs> it could be distilled is correct for where they're living, but for us, I'm saying no. No, exactly. But also the foul section, Jim, uh, that people right. can go to. And to me, that's really, you're talking about some information. Yeah, and I'm going to start expanding that. I've got a lot more that are done, but they need to be updated some varieties over the last, well, I've been out of the business actively now for about eight years. So there's He's been, bragging. well, I mean, there've been new hydrangeas added mm-hmm. that I need to go back and add to the list. So that's what I'm, you know, plan on, plan on doing it and someday. Palladios. <laughs> They do send people down there all the time. Y'all are, I mean, the water features that y'all sell are absolutely beautiful. The furniture, the paintings, and even the, the garden center that y'all have now. And, you know, we're getting to in that transition period, going from summer to fall. At Dan West, the same thing. You know, getting in pansies and beautiful perennials that you were talking about a while ago. All the grass seeds. Uh, you know, it's just, it, every season's a little different. Uh, and people can start feeling, you know, you walk out in the mornings, you can feel that little bit of just, you know, nicer yeah. weather, a little chill out there. I shouldn't say chill, cooler. <laughs> um, so we're we're getting there, but um, yeah, all the the fall colors starting to arrive. It's just, it's, it's I love fall. It's a it's a fun time of year. It really is. Is it faux fall? No. Mm-hmm. Well, no. We're I not don't in, think so. We're getting there. I mean, it's like my, you know, we're not like I said earlier. You know, we're not done with warm temperatures. Yeah. See, we maybe do we have six seasonings seasons because there's really even a different little type of weather pattern from summer up till the first day of fall. You know, to me, fall feels like November feels like fall. <laughs> Because the leaves are falling. Yeah, see, she's meaning really, really, real really fall, fall, Jim. We're talking about summer fallish. Yeah. Yeah. It's and to me, that's good enough. And like I told a gentleman yesterday, if it's not 108 degrees, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, that stuff that we were going through the, for those two weeks when it was 120 degrees in the shade, and I mean, you could hardly breathe outside. This feels like heaven. <laughs> I mean, I, I never knew that 90 felt so good. I know, right? Oh, I'll At least take it. we weren't in Dallas and Texas, where I think they had a hundred days over ninety-five, and I think thirty of those was over a hundred well, or something. And I think uh, in somewhere in Arizona, they now have had something like fifty-two days over a hundred degrees. Yeah. Well, Jim, you know, it's phenomenal. It's, well, mm. we, I mean, we suffered also, you know, but not like the last years. But we got to go to a break real quick. And we come back. We're going to talk about uh, the difference in tent caterpillars and webworms. Mm. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. We'll talk a little bit about the difference in tent caterpillars and webworms. I thought they were the same. I see, and a lot of people do. (laughs) Mm. Okay, let's talk about tent caterpillars. They are a spring issue. You you don't see those in the fall. Uh, They make their web very tight in the crotch of a limb and the trunk usually, Um, and it's really quite unique 
web. It's built in layers um, so that they can regulate their temperature and move between the layers. And from the center (laughs) of it that's most highly shaded to the outside, there can be as much as 60 degrees difference Crazy on a day when it's below freezing outside. So it's, it's really a unique way. And they build it so that it catches the morning sun. Um, so it's really a, 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 an architectural design miracle the way they, they build this web. Unbelievable. Uh, and they also use it for protection, don't they, from they birds do. and from do. predators. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and they tend to move out at different times during the day and feed. But they're a spring. They like to feed. They can only feed on the tenderest, newest growth. But they won't feed on mature leaves. So that's why we see them in the spring. And that is uh, a tent caterpillar. Because anytime tent. I see a web up in a pecan or a hickory, I just automatically assume that's a tent right. caterpillar. Yeah. And they, these, the, the tent caterpillars prefer oaks. Okay, huh. They'll get on some other trees, but oaks are their, by far their favorites. Now, the fall webworm, now, which is well, what the we've tent seen. caterpillars, well, they, they're not going to kill a tree, though, are no, they? No, they're not. None of, the, none of these worms are going to kill a tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, they'll defoliate it, but they, they won't kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fall webworm is what you see right now, and they prefer pecans, hickories, walnuts. Yeah. They'll <clears> occasionally <throat> get on some maples, but that's their preference, okay? Whereas the, the other one we were talking about likes oaks. They also like birches. Yeah. Um, so, um, but anyway, they mm-hmm. form their web, and it's a very loose web at the end of the branches. Um, and they prefer to eat. They eat the fo- this, the the green right off of it, and and all the, everything but the stalk. Though. And they don't have to have new foliage either. They'll they eat. don't. They'll eat anything. Yeah. 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 Uh, and again, they'll move out of that web and feed, and then come back into it for protection. Uh, but they don't need the temperature protection because it's the time of year when right. it's warm. That is amazing. They have one really unique defense, though, which, of course, they have some little hairs on them, which helps protect them against birds and so forth. But they wiggle, and they all wiggle in... in Unison? In unison. Yeah, right word. I mean, they start wiggling, and they all do it exactly together. Yeah, it's it's still a little not <laughs> sure why, why they do it. that, but, but they do it while they're in the net, in the net and across the trees. But they'll all wiggle it the same way, so it's huh. really quite unique. And I'm sure they're releasing a pheromone that gets us to do it. You know, the other ones, um, the tent caterpillars, uh, they'll go out and they'll seek um, converts to come to their web from other. <laughs> From other mothers, basically. Yeah. That is a. They leave two different types of trails. They'll leave one trail that is a pheromone that says, there's food, follow this. They leave one that's a recruitment trail, which they lay the pheromone down and the worms actually come follow that back to the nest. So it's, it's they're quite unique worms. Okay? Good Lord. None of them are going to kill your tree, even if it's severely infected. Okay. But they're going to re sprout. Now, it does make, because it, they're eating the green tissue off when it's still producing food, it can weaken a plant. Right. Okay. Right. 
but n- normally they're going to do insignificant damage. You know, if you've got a big um, pecan tree and got 12 different limbs mm-hmm. all covered in, they're not hurting your tree. Okay, it's not a big deal. But if you've got a smaller tree and you're like, Mm-mm, I don't yeah. want to see these worms on this tree and I don't want to see that netting, that, you know, that big spider web looking thing. Yeah. Then going out there and spraying with a BT or a spinosad or something like that. There's many other things you can spray that would kill caterpillars, but the BT only kills caterpillars. Yeah. And the spinosad is a very safe product. It's a bacterium also that definitely will kill caterpillars. But you almost have to like penetrate the the net, the you tent, yeah. you know, for that product to really. And you don't, really don't want, need to do that. What you want to spray is the foliage outside the net, okay, because that's what they're going to be feeding on. Uh, now, they can get quite bad. There is an area um, between here and Little Rock and closer to Little Rock where they've, through the years, lived in the median of the, um, the expressway. And you travel uh, probably four or five miles where in the fall they defoliate everything wow. in there, okay? <laughs> And, of course, I, I drove back and forth between Little Rock for many, many years. And you would just uh, see and, this happening. And I would see this, and it started out, you know, with like a, m- a mile block or so, and then it got bigger and bigger every year. Uh, and it's just, and it's right in the median. You see a few on the sides of the road, but everything through the center is just totally wiped out. Wow. And they, the fall webworm will actually winter in the ground. Uh, once they uh, are done eating, they fall to the ground dig in and they pupate in the ground for hatching the next spring where is kind of like the, a bag worm yeah you know? the, whereas the spring tent caterpillars uh will form their their uh, cocoons in the bark of the tree and huh. and that sort of thing so right man how many years has that been going on it's for a long time yeah. long time and yeah. then and of course another one we're seeing right now and kenneth has seen them there is the the oak worm, which is, you know, yellow neck or orange neck um, worm, and it doesn't build a nest. It, you'll see them on the trunk of a tree, like hundreds of them kind of oh, grouped it, together. It, it, it freaked this guy out that called me. He said, these things are everywhere. Right, and they, and that's they what, what they do is they'll, uh, a couple of times during the day, they'll spread out and feed, and then they'll come back in and get to the trunk and, and stay there uh, for protection. Uh, but they don't have the nets, though, like you said, like the webworms right. and the caterpillars. Catap- and, and those, again, will fall off eventually, and people start seeing them then when they're falling off because they're fixing to, to pupate underground. Man. So, yeah, so like the balance is off in the middle. The balance of nature. Well, they're just, there's right no predators the, there yeah. to feed on them, and they've just continued to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Now, like the uh, the female only lives really less than 48 hours. I mean, you'll have the males live for about a week or so. Um, but, I mean, once she lays her eggs, she dies. Mm. Uh, so they're laying eggs very close, and they're hatching in that same area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just those Those, I mean, the, the oak uh, tree caterpillar mm-hmm. uh, are active right now. And it's got, like you said, it's got these yellow stripes kind of yeah. going down its back. And they're doing the same thing that the webworms, the tent caterpillars are doing. They're just eating the foliage, mm-hmm. and they're dropping droppings everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, and it's and amazing. it's like you're trying to balance it out, balance of nature as it is. And say out in the normal forest conditions and all, there's less. Because, like, if they're laying their eggs in the soil, 
there are a lot of times, I mean, beneficial nematodes are all mm-hmm. in our soil, but they're less in soil that in our lawns. we're around more. So you've got some of that going on that can control a little bit in the ground. There's more trichia gamma wasps out. They they kill in the, in the wild in the nature. Mm-hmm. Birds can take care of them. So that's why we're trying to get you to plant more things and create diversity. But in that strip right there, I mean, you're stuck between two cars, a mm-hmm. road. The diversity's gone. Maybe they could do a big program, which would probably <clears throat> be expensive, of soaking with beneficial nematodes, putting out the wasp and all. Or just mow it all down. Yeah. <laughs> well, but also. That too, and just plant. But it's on oak tree. I mean, aren't oaks native? Yeah, but also, yeah. I, mean, I think where, you know, even the products that we're spraying now, a lot of them, like I mentioned, BT. BT only kills caterpillars. Yeah. You know, that's all it's going to kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to kill the beneficials that are out there, yeah. you know. So it's not like you're nuking the whole yard just to mm-hmm. kill that caterpillar. So I think it's important, one, is to get the right product. Uh, to kill whatever you're trying to kill, a target kill, if you will. And you're not spraying, you're spot spraying also. You're spraying just the problem areas. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they say they've got a problem on an arborvita, a bagworm. Well, they're spraying everything in the yard, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and yeah. you're killing everything, you know, all your pre- your good stuff and the bad stuff combined. So, you know, be smart about when you're spraying. I love spraying to kill bugs. Don't get me wrong. If I got a problem, I'm going to spray. But I'm going to be smart about the product that I use, and I'm only going to spray just the plants that I had a problem with. Right. That's why I like that etymology site, because people look at it and go, oh my gosh, she's so cute, and I like his eyes, and it's beautiful. And then you look on a garden site, and they're going, ew, gross spray it, gross yeah, spray yeah, it. Yeah, get rid of it. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening, and we are here in the studio live, and I am Veda with Palladio. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder. Just That's simple it. as that. That's simple That's as it. that. If you want to give us a call this Little morning. Short, fat gardener made all the mistakes you've made, most of them more than once. <laughs> and, right. And I've learned from experience. That's how it works. That's what I say. Yeah, it is. We all learn from our past mistakes. But if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. And if you want to shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Mid-South Gardening, the Mighty mm-hmm. 990, um, so, you know, I'm a tree-hugging, flower-sniffing, animal-kissing, plant-loving, dirt-watch worshiper and proud of it. I've said it many times. There yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. We all, we, if you're a gardener, that's you. Tree-hugging, flower-sniffing, animal-kissing, plant-loving, dirt-worshipper. I just probably wouldn't hug the locust trees. That's all. Oh, this is true. Hey, what's that? And I'm a soil worshiper. Yes. Yeah, that was me, Not too. Dirt. Right, yeah. you. That's, that's a good point. That's you, what you sweep up in the kitchen. Exactly. Oh, it's what you throw that, at someone. That is such a good point. There's soil, and then there's dirt. Yeah, yeah. Big difference. <laughs> um, some of the things that uh, gardeners probably don't need. You know, we talked about this last year, Vanny. You remember, and Jim, you probably will too. When I bring them back up, but I think it's worth revisiting. Okay, I was uh, going through some <laughs> notes last night, and I'm thinking, you know. Some of these um, uh, I really, truly believe, mm-hmm. and some of them I'm like on the fence. Well, I had to do 
revisit the gravel <laughs> in the bottom of the pot yesterday, and that was a tough one. And and when Jim first brought that up on the show, I'm thinking he has truly lost his mind. Which I didn't is know probably was, a true statement. Well, but. probably, but I didn't know if he had, if he had just started taking medication. I didn't want to ask well, him that question. Statement. That's a little that's personal, a true statement too. But, yeah. Jim, but 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 as far as gravel in the bottom of a pot, that it, that was the most interesting thing because. But I've always, when I, my whole life was, if you have a container, you definitely want to put gravel in there to improve the drainage. That's the reason before you put your soil in there because what's wrong with having good drainage in a container and you were like hang on just a minute kenny you're really putting the gravel in there to keep the hole from getting plugged up in the bottom of the pot you're not really aiding in the drainage and i'm like well sure you are because gravel is more loose than Mm -hmm. soil so water's going to run right through that so the right. more gravel you put in the bottom of the pot, the better. And Jim that, was that like, "That sounds great. There's just no mm-hmm. truth in it." And, and that's what <laughs> threw me for yeah. a loop. Yeah. But you're right because well, you're pushing the water table up in the mm-hmm. bottom of the pot. You're pushing where the soil is. You're pushing that water yeah. level closer to the roots. And the wettest part of the soil, like Jim said, is the bottom of the soil. Okay. Yeah. The best way to think about it is if you've got a sponge, okay, and just soak it with water and hold it up so that it drains out. And if you'll feel the sponge, it'll have more water at the bottom yes, it than it does at the top. So that's going to happen in soil. You're going to get to a point where the water at the bottom holds 100% of the water that it can. Mm-hmm. Then it won't release any more into what you would have as gravel. But if you put gravel in there, what you're doing is raising that wettest higher up in the pot. So what are you losing? You're losing the driest part in the very top. So you would have to cut that piece of sponge off to make it level with the top of the pot. It's amazing. So now what you have is the wettest label and the wettest layer, and then about halfway up the sponge wet, and then it's you got just wetter soil totally. I know. I get it. But you don't mind putting just a no, no. A little bit of, uh, <laughs> of of rock in the bottom of the pot, just there again, just to keep the hole well, from know, getting plugged yeah. up. And you don't need a layer. All you need is right. one rock, yeah. right. okay, to, to cover a piece of broken <clears throat> pot. And like I say, mm-hmm. I've got 100,000 scallop shells we've yeah. collected from right. Gulf Shores, uh-huh. you know, that, and I just put one of those across yeah. the bottom. Well, uh, y'all all agree with me on this, though, but the very best way to have good drainage is put pot feed under your pots. Absolutely. That's, that's critical, getting it up off the ground. Absolutely. Yes. I've seen pots that have a perfectly round hole in the bottom of it, no obstruction whatsoever, but it's sitting on a flat piece of concrete, and it's amazing how that pot can almost seal itself yeah. to that flat surface. And after a heavy rain, it is holding water like a container that has no drainage whatsoever. Right. It's yeah. amazing. And it, they don't have to be the pot feet that you go by. They could be even little chunks of brick. Anything that you just, just push under yeah. your pot. But then, you know, you like to buy the cute pot feet. <laughs> the they call them out. pot feet, little toes. But then there can be lion design, turtle design, brick design. But that And the pot feet aren't hugely expensive. The pot feet cost uh, less than the plant that you kill because it wasn't draining and you didn't know it wasn't draining until you're like, what's wrong with my pot? Now, what about, a week later. What about people that get like a coffee filter mm-hmm. and just lay it flat in the bottom of their pot over that hole, yeah. put their soil in there. So you're keeping the soil from plugging the hole. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
uh, and it surely lets moisture pass through. And a lot of people do, whether it's a screening or whether yeah. it's landscape fabric or like a coffee filter, they'll put those over the holes in the bottom of their pot I also. I always wondered the coffee filter because that, that composts down. Yes, it will. Yeah. I'm like, well, that did, that only helped the moment. Right. Screen, definitely. A little cocoa liner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of depends on what you're going to do. You know, if, if you've got annuals or, or perennials in a pot that's going to have to be repotted every two years or so, yeah, no big then, deal. you know, a coffee filter will work fine. Mm. But if you've got something that's going to be, you know, I've got citrus that are going to be in a pot for 15, 20 years probably, yeah. um, those you want to put something a little more substantial in there, a piece of screen. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the landscape fabric, but, I mean, I have used it. Yeah, um, I like something just a little more... Porous. Uh, porous, yeah. yeah. Let, let it flow through quicker. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, just about anything will work. It's just add, the only time I add gravel, say, to the bottom of a pot is if I need it for weight to keep a yeah. plant from flipping over. Being stolen. Yeah, or <laughs> being stolen, yeah. We yeah. used to have. Put the weight in there. Yeah. You know, have people that had nice pots out on the, the you know, near the sidewalk, and and uh, they would walk away at night, you know. Amazing. Particularly in Midtown, so. We put 50 pounds or 100 pounds of, gr- of rock, sometimes didn't even open the bags. We just yeah. drop them in the bottom of the in these pot. In these big containers, yeah. yeah. So that now they weigh 300 pounds, yeah. you know, and it takes a, more than one person to move them. Right. So, uh, yep. but yeah. You know, something, we, oh, back to the gravel and the draining. I don't know how, it couldn't make sense to me like that, but then. All my, my tennis shoes were soaking wet, so I lean them up right so they can dry. One way or the other. They can water. Right. Whether so the you lean water, them up or down. Yeah, so then the water collects at the bottom. And then I flip them over so the water can go back down into the dry part and then uh, dry out quicker. But that's but you can't dump your container upside down because it's right. kind of the same principle. Mm-hmm. All the water collected. Or on a towel that you hang over. So when I started thinking about that, I was like, okay, I think I can get why the gravel's not really good for drainage but at the same time i always thought the gravel was just to keep the dirt from coming out of the pot too i couldn't really understand why it would help drainage but i never thought the soil would stay moist at that level exactly i mean i I just never looked at it that way and that's why like i said the first time i heard jim say that i said he has lost his mind and he's even saying this on the radio yeah and the thing you have to remember is water will flow from coarse particles into finer particles it will not flow from finer particles into quart into larger particles. Okay, when it gets to the point where it holds enough, it stops. Mm-hmm. Okay, whereas if you got very coarse, if you had the rock on the top, mm-hmm. all the water would go through it mm-hmm. into the soil. So mm-hmm. it really, um, it sounds good, but it just doesn't uh, doesn't okay. help anything. I'm wondering because I've been trying to f- come up with the right strategy. And maybe what you're saying, you might be able to help me with this. Uh, House plants and their roots are not all the way to the bottom of the pot. And you mean you, you mean when you first put them yeah, in a container, or like or? when you get them in? Okay, you know, yeah. growing say in Florida and all. So the roots are like only probably halfway down, and then you can poke your finger into the bottom holes, and it's soaking wet. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, the uh, top layer is dry. Mm-hmm. But that bottom layer being wet is still causing uh, rotting issues. Mm-hmm. If, if it's up, if, if the water level is going up to that root yeah, system, yeah, right, right. And I would so then I'm thinking, okay, the roots are going to pull that water up from that wet part at the bottom, 
which really doesn't happen. And so then I'm lifting them up off the ground so the gravity can pull that through. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just going to pull it out and break the soil up and mix it differently. But I can't get them to ever get all the way dry without killing the top. Hmm. I know. I'm like, what is it? I maybe need to investigate this, but I'm wondering if it's something's happened similar to how the rocks and the soil meet. Yeah. I mean, I think if you add some coarseness to your soil, some bark Mm -hmm. chips or something like that in in the bottom of the pot, it will will help that. Yeah. Um, But again, it's all about the soil, you know. Like I say, soil will hold 100% of the water than it can. It's going to be saturated. And then it's going to stop coming out the bottom. Yeah. So it's always going to be wetter at the bottom than it is at the top. So it just stops draining when it's so saturated. And that's one of the the best reasons to plant in a pot that's wide but not deep. Yeah. And and all these houseplant pots are deep. Yes. So I'm trying to actually raise the level of the pot okay how about this now okay so these plants are grown in florida but then we're taking them and bringing them in our house yes but they're grown in florida in greenhouses yeah. primarily that they've got fans on yes mm-hmm. they have it's temperature controlled right uh, right and, yeah. and now you'll have some that's you know like the three gallon cheap crotons mm-hmm. and stuff like that yeah. that are field grown uh, but you know, when you're looking at small pots, they're all grown in greenhouses and they use a lot of air movement to, to keep the foliage yeah. dry, to keep you from getting any, any fungal issues. It dries out quicker. The soil completely. Yes. So what's happening is the soil that they're planting the house plants in are good for greenhouse outside conditions in Florida, but the soil that we're using for our indoor plants that they came in is an issue. It can be. Can be. Yeah, can yeah. be. I mean, I don't see it on 100% Because everything things. has changed. You know, they're yeah. under constant feed. You know, mm-hmm. every time they get watered, they're getting a little bit of fertilizer. Which goes with any plant, really. That's, that's right. That's grown in a greenhouse. Okay. And then when it gets to your place, that stops. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, you know, most of the nursery, well, I don't know of any nursery really that has uh, the injectors, you know, on their right. own, mm-hmm. at, at retail level. Right, uh, right. You know, some growers would, but so it's uh, it's it's just total. Yeah, knowing knowing that I do, because we don't carry so much uh, hundreds thousands of flats. I mix a tank full of fertilizer and fertilized foliage feed the yeah. plants on the shelf just because I know and I like to do it. But oh my gosh, we've got to go to a break. Oops, we'll be right back <laughs> after these messages. <laughs> my granddaughter. We really want to thank our sponsor of this program, uh, Palladio Home and Garden, and also uh, our partner, uh, Herbert Systems Incorporated, and uh, just a really fine company, does great work. Um, mm-hmm. And let's l- say some good things about them, all well, right? Hey, not only do they do really good work, Jim, they do really good work all over the Mid-South area, because... Like I said, if you're in Arlington or Atoka, which is long, you know, Atoka's not like, not close. You know, <laughs> it's not far from me. Well, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I mean, they go to all these places, Arlington, Atoka, Bartlett, of course, Carryville, Germantown, Lakeland, uh, Millington, Mumford. They'll go all the mm-hmm. way out to Mumford, take care of people's yards, Oakland or Somerville. Uh, and, they, you know, what kind of lawn or insect problems are you having? Uh, fire ants, maybe. Of course, always weeds, brown spots, bare spots. <laughs> <laughs> our let me kill your weeds guys at herbie systems 
They can solve all of those problems. So they're not just killing weeds, right. is my point. Mm-hmm. They're doing all these other things for all these great yards and all these different places. They've been making our Mid-South landscapes beautiful for over 39 years. I can't believe it's been that I know. long. That's crazy. Um, Herbie System is locally owned. I think, did you go to school with him? Did y'all go to school with him? No. Kenny? Uh-uh. <laughs> locally owned and has a team that maintains over 11,000 customers' property. They do maintain trees and shrubs. And uh, mm-hmm. it is can be complicated, uh, whether you're dealing with insects or if you need to aerate your soil then Herbie Systems can take care of all that. And that's what I'm saying. They're not just out there killing weeds, but they do a great job of. Uh, They're doing all this other stuff that Veda was just talking about. You know, the best lawn care program in Memphis, Let Me Kill Your Weeds, has never sounded so good. And we've all seen that Let Me Kill Your Weeds on the radio. We've heard it on the radio and seen it on the TV. Well, that's Kenny Crenshaw, the owner of Herbie Systems. And he really believes in what they're doing. He's got great employees. For a great uh, free quote of the week, uh, just tell them you heard about Herbie Systems on the Garden Show, guys, or just say KWIM. But if you want a really top-notch lawn care company that's out there doing all these wonderful things, doing it really good and not just killing the weeds, Herbie Systems is the people to call. Take this phone number down, 901-390-9898. That's 901-390-9898. And that's, of course, the number for Herbie Systems. So let I, him kill your weed. Yeah, let your let him I uh, didn't get this customer, but I wonder if I have the most unique question a customer's ask any of us in the garden center. I doubt it. I know. As I said it, I was like, nah, there's so many great But I want to know what this question is, though. Uh, I They needed some plants okay. that they're boa constrictor. <laughs> That's Can pretty eat. unique. Well, Jim, you might. Yeah, You're in a fact, snake we had, person. We yeah. had a number of customers that bought uh, supplies for snakes. Um, there was a gentleman who was growing, a, uh, who raised, um, a, I think it was Louisiana pine snake or something like that. That's, it's actually an endangered species, but he has a license to breed them. <clears throat> and he would come out and buy these big bales of long sphagnum fiber for them to lay their eggs and stuff in. Um, so yeah, it's, um, uh, it's, it's not uncommon for people <clears throat> that have, uh, herpetariums to want to put nice living plants in there wow i don't even know what she recommended but would there have to be a cert well you is there plants even poisonous to snakes well the main thing you want is Is you know as a snake gets big it gets heavy and you want something that's got uh, if if, strong enough limbs that can hold it oh okay i'm thinking about little french (laughs) annuals or Mm. something yeah (laughs) You know, she's yeah. thinking about, you know, the snake food, the, the foliage, uh, mm-hmm. you know. But I guess they're they're not eating. Uh, no snakes eat plant material, do they? That I know of. Well, no, I'm not 100% sure that I could say no snakes, but the vast majority yeah. of them are right. carnivorous. Yeah. Yeah. But do, I guess you need a limb, like Jim said, strong enough to hold the I dang thing that, up. Maybe that yeah. was what the point was. I didn't have time to go into details to find out exactly what they ended up with and were they trying to feed it. Because it was just a question that threw her off. Have, yeah. 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 I think what really worked great in them is to use uh, either some driftwood or I think it's called Mopari wood that's really and then really nice looking. And then just hot glue bromeliads to them, you know, oh, and it makes a, you know, makes a nice looking um, Herpetarium. Hey, do you do, have you done a lot with bromeliads and uh, air plants? Used to do a lot with them, yeah. Because 
they the bromeliads and the air plants after they bloom they the die. main and then there's pups. Mm-hmm. So when you pull the pups off, are you just sticking them down in soil barely, or Usually. are they gonna? Yeah, yeah, okay. just stick them down. You know, the roots normally are just attaching to other things, mm. uh, trees. Kind of like a staghorn fern. fern, right? Yeah, yeah. They would come up in the 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 pups would, of course, once you get one to come up from seed inside mm-hmm. there. The mother plant blooms in two to three years, and then you have pups coming up, and then they bloom in two to three years. Um, so usually there's no soil involved, but we grow them in, in soil. And it's yeah. you know it's it's a way just to keep the, those roots moist. Basically. And the same thing and with bromeliads, right? I mean, I've never seen a bromeliad not growing in soil. Yeah, I know, because that's how I guess we have to get them to right. transport them and to hold them up to retell them. But mm-hmm. because also people used to say fill the cup with water. Some, it, yeah, yes. but like uh, Courtney at the greenhouse that grows, you know, they do houseplants and all this. She said after they water, they go dump them all, and maybe because it's in soil. Yeah, and it's yeah. you know it can be it can harbor mosquitoes and things like mm-hmm. that also. Um, yeah. But yeah, it can particularly in greenhouse conditions, um, you can get some rot issues. So uh, normally, just by just watering them and then. Um, Typically, it's once a week or so. Now, if you've got tillandsias or Spanish moss, that type sort of looking thing, those you just want to miss the foliage down, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's no cup to put it in. What about the orchids? I mean, because you're, you know, to me, orchids have to have that really, really good drainage also. And typically, you know, you're seeing those in, for the most part, the phalaenopsis in like an orchid bark. Mm -hmm. The water just runs right through. They love moisture, but they got to have perfect drainage. Now, do orchids in the wild also just grow on the side of these trees and these mm-hmm. rocks and so forth, kind of like a bromeliad? And the some vast of these? majority, yes. Now, there are some terrestrial orchids. I mean, Blatilla that we grow yeah. here outside is the a terrestrial orchid. orchid. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So um, there, there are a number of those, and we have a number of wild orchids that grow in the woods here. Um, but yeah, the vast majority of what you see in catalayas and, and epimediums and that sort of thing are all, um, epiphytes. They attach to trees just as a, a, in an anchor. They don't actually feed off of the tree. It's just an anchor, like you said. Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, bark, barky mix or, and you know, I've grown them in charcoal. Um, uh, I've grown them in, uh, rock. You know, because they really don't need it other than just for anchoring. Yeah. And you mentioned the air plant, Veda. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, that's the, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't need, right. you could just set that thing in a, anything yeah. with no water just leave, right. it on, leave it on the counter and just. Yeah. 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 I mean, and then you water that thing, what, once a week? Do you, mm-hmm. do you submerge it in water? Well, we have, um, we sell these, but it's called Mr. Mister. And it's such a perfect misting. It's not a squirt bottle that you have to adjust and you're trying to get the sprinklets right. Fine mist. Yeah. And it, it runs automatically. Yeah. You plug it into your USB. <laughs> and just crazy. push the button and yeah. that thing just is it's a fog almost. Right. So you, you, know, you charge it up. And so we're walking around everywhere just misting. Oh, what can I miss? What can I miss? Because it's so it's fun. A but to once a, a week, we do miss the air plants. You can dunk them, but don't leave them. Right. We'll be right back after these messages, 901-260-5926.
morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. All right, we were on what? Well, we were talking about uh, tillandsias and that sort of mm-hmm. thing, but I think if we've run through that, let's get back yeah. to Kenneth's things we <clears throat> don't need in the garden that we probably have. You're right. I mean, these are things you probably don't need, and we talked about this a year or so ago, but I really wanted to revisit this because... <laughs> Jim, some of this you might have gone over when you were debunking some of the myths, uh-huh. the garden myths that are out there. Uh, less pruning sealer, leaf shine, compost activator, anvil pruners, landscape fabric, and tree spikes. Okay, mm-hmm. let's start with the pruning sealer. Uh, reserved research has shown, and you can y'all can tell me if y'all believe this or not. Research has shown that sealers generally do not reduce decay or speed closure, and rarely prevent insects or disease infestations. There's evidence that sealers, uh, tree paint, sometimes trap moisture and therefore discourage the healing. Well, you know, we agree with that, yes. Yeah, Yeah. so they say a better idea is just let the tree wound air dry. That's right. Clean it up if it's rough. Um, If it's a broken limb or something, clean it up to a good clean (sighs) cut. And then leave it alone. Well, and what about a situation, because I was talking to a young lady this week. She had a tree, and we all do, that has a had a little cavity in it. Mm-hmm. And it was holding moisture. And I said, get out there and cut a notch or cut a V into that. And it's not a yeah. big cavity. I said, but cut a V in there to where that water would just run right out of that cavity, where the cavity is not holding the water. Or you can get a drill and drill it and put a little piece of pipe in there. Mm-hmm. But you've got to make it to where the cavity is not holding water. And then I was thinking, okay, is that one of those situations where I do want to go in there, cut a little V in there to where it's not going to hold water, clean it up, and then seal that with a pruning sealer? No. Okay, because there again, you're saying it's not going to really do a good job in keeping that thing waterproof anyway. It doesn't. And what we see is that they pick, the, particularly because the pruning paint is black, right. picks up a lot of heat and that temperature gets quite high. The cells just behind that end up rotting and fermenting. They do. Which then you start getting heartwood rots that work up through your tree. And so about 30 years from now, when you're about to retire and you got this tree that's about four foot across, and it oh. falls over in one of our storms, and you can walk through the center of it. Yep. Okay. So, yep. so <laughs> let's let the better idea is let the tree wound just air dry. Yes. But remember, guys, 20, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, every time you'd see a limb cut on an oak tree, you'd see that pruning sealer just zip sprayed up there on it. Yeah. And yeah. how and things have changed. shelves full of it. I yep. know. So uh, that was one. Uh, this one I still is. use it. But you use it for... Sealing the inside of clay pots so they don't lose moisture. (laughs) (laughs) Good point there, Mr. Jim. Uh, The other one was leaf shine. And uh, Mm -hmm. it says it has the potential to clog the leaf stomata, which is the pores, and it will inhibit transpiration, which is the way a plant breathes, by coating them with a glossy material. This and a better way to clean the plants is with a good, clean, damp cloth. That's or right. Mr. Mr. I know that is such a hard one because we do sell plant spray. Sure. But Everybody loves plant shine. Yeah, I use we I use it like <laughs> lightly when the plants come in to get like the fertilizer and the the look, make them clean and shiny, mm-hmm. but not constantly because yeah. houseplants aren't glowing and shiny like that. But washing the plants is definitely better than the light. Now, what about like a health. like an oil spray, like neem oil? When you're spraying an oil type spray mm-hmm. on the foliage of your plants, 
I mean, isn't that kind of like a leaf shine also? And why does that product not also coat the yeah. stomata? You know, it does. It does. It does. In fact, you know, what I would use, I mean, if you really want to make them shine, is to use an all seasons oil. Mm-hmm. It allows some air to penetrate through that. So, Remember which is more when, of that paraffinic oil. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I'll just talk over y'all too. Remember when uh, the big craze was mayonnaise? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I did that one time. Gross. I mean, it was. Did it work? It worked. It shined it up nicely and all. <laughs> but. Just no. No, get you your know, wet no. Just Get yeah. a bucket yeah. with some good lukewarm water and a mm-hmm. good rag and just start wiping. Hey, you I know? wonder if the mayonnaise fed the plant through the stomata. Could yeah, have. No, if you did the underside of the leaf. The stomatas are on the bottom. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think, did. I, I did top and under. Because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all. <laughs> this one says, and I don't, see, i got to get a little pushback on this one. This is compost activator. Uh, and it says nature would do fine just right by itself. Well, but what's the wrong with trying to speed up the Nothing. composting process? I Nothing mean, at all. Nothing. But you can do it. I mean, just throw a shovel full of soil in there, and it's done deal. Yeah, good soil. Yeah, that's already started its thing. Exactly. High, high in organic matter. I mean, I do see the, the compost activator, but I'd never used it, and I got great compost anyway. But when I started a new pile, I took some really good from the old pile Put it in the new pile, which was the compost. Sure, water. and I think using a combination of browns and greens, and then adding some, like Jim said and Veda said, you know, some good rich soil that's got all the mycorrhiza in there. Yeah. That's going to start breaking that compost down. And just a little bit of fertilizer. Yeah. So yeah. is it something that you really have to use to get good compost? Absolutely not. No. That's one of those where I still don't think it. I don't mind using it mm-hmm. if I want to kind of speed up the process and doing it the way that we just talked yeah. about. So yeah, it's not so something that you have to have. It's so, not going to hurt. And yeah. some of the questions I'm sure you're asking yourself is, the, why do you guys sell this stuff? Well, it's because some people want it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you absolutely. Know? Right. And if they want it, you have to sell it to absolutely. them. Absolutely. All right, what do y'all think about this <laughs> one? True. This is uh, the anvil pruner. Now, the, the difference between an anvil pruner mm-hmm. and a scissor-type pruner. Scissor-type pruners have a sharp blade at the top and the bottom, Okay. An anvil pruner has a sharp blade at the top that comes down onto mm-hmm. a flat surface, which is the anvil, yeah. okay? Anvil pruners tend to crush the tissue mm-hmm. after it's been cut, leaving behind a ragged opening that's more prone to infection. Well, I can just say that I have the worst. I have a hard time pruning with anvils, and I do not ever get it all the way through, Seems like I leave a little piece or I have to pull it down. But is that me? What do you think, Jim? I, yeah, I've um, I've never used them. Don't like them. Now, some of the newer anvil pruners, the the blade actually goes into a notch, into a notch, oh. right, so that it penetrates mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah, um, most but, of them are like that now. But the, you're right; it crushes them. You know, worst thing in the world for roses. Yeah. That's what um, I thought. It, yeah, I always use a crosscut. Y'all, I have ratchet pruners that are incredible. Yeah, they're they're made so much better now, and I can prune things that I used to not be able to with just a hand pruner because it's ratcheting down. It does a little does click the work. at a time. Yeah, Absolutely it's fun. Click, yeah. click, 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 click. But you can if you have bad hands, carpal tunnel, um, just weaker. Absolutely. At, at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, or even older. <laughs> say older uh you can prune things that you normally can't and if you're cutting limbs that might be just a little bigger than what you should be pruning with With regular pruners with those pruners yeah they do a pretty good job on that too 
Uh, and I know we got only a couple minutes, but landscape fabric, uh, good uses is, you know, for gravel walkways, yeah. stone paths, uh, vegetable gardens, uh, not so good for foundation beds around the house. Fabrics, uh, they inhibit the flow of oxygen to the soil, discouraging water absorption and trap excessive moisture in clay soil, mm. what we got around here during rainy uh, spells. So I think that has a lot of ring to it also. Now, I'm not saying don't ever go out there and put landscape fabric around the foundation beds of your house. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I love a landscape fabric in these walkways where you got gravel on the top of it uh, to inhibit all this, you know, the weeds and the grasses and that the can grow in there. gravel blending in the soil. But I really don't yeah. like using any kind of fabric in my foundation mm-hmm. beds in front of my house or behind my house. If you're a gardener, it's probably not worth it because you're going to end up cutting into mm-hmm. it trying to put something down you're going to get grass to encroach on it probably and then you're going to get mad at it and rip um, it up and then eventually there, there are some times that i think it's appropriate if you're not a gardener and you want to keep weeds out of your bed okay mm-hmm. with minimal work then what i would do would be um you know get all the the trash plants and everything out of there right. spray it with roundup Come in and put about a half inch of pea gravel across your entire beds. Put the fabric on top of that. Mm-hmm. That holds it up off of it and allows air to move through it. And, and moisture. It, and it isn't going to go away on you. Mm-hmm. If you put bark under it, it's going to rot away and it's going to end up on the ground again. But if you'll put that pea gravel in there and then put your fabric on top and of that. And then mulch on top of that. And then mulch on top of that, a light layer, then you get the benefit of it blocking mm-hmm. the air I mean, blocking the sunlight, blocking the weed seed from mm-hmm. getting down to the soil uh, and can keep it out. But okay. well, it's a pain um, if you have to do anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, quickly, though, when you pull like plastic back or landscape fabric back and the ground's real compacted mm-hmm. and clay looking and you go, man, I couldn't grow anything in that. Yet that's what you just created in your shrub bed by allowing all that to compact into your soil immediately. So I guess... With the rock between it, you're not getting that soil compact. Prevents that from happening. Well, like yeah. Jim said, also, if you're just not really going to do a whole lot either, yeah. if you've got just a bed and you want to just yeah. keep that bed clean. Mm-hmm. And the last one, because I know we got to go to a break, are the tree spikes. Uh, a lot of people will get the tree spikes there. Again, I have no problem. It's just a fertilizer that's in a spike form. Mm-hmm. And you go out there and you hammer these things around the drip line of the tree. Well, they're saying maybe a better solution is just to apply the fertilizer over the entire root zone well, instead of we'll just give- at the tips. We'll give the answer to that after this break because Jim's got some good advice about that one. I remember. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Now the uh, fertilizer tabs for the trees. Well, in the tab, you know, this fertilizer spikes, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, a lot of people would buy the spikes. They come with this little plastic head that you put on the top of them and you hammer them down around the drip line of a tree. And like I said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because you're still feeding that tree. Where they're saying the better better solution uh, is to sprinkle fertilizer over the entire root zone, not just the drip line of a tree. Yeah, here's the issue. you got to decide on where you're going to hammer those things into the ground. And most people are going to get up underneath the tree or out to the drip line and hammer that. And that's not where your active roots are feeding. They're out beyond your drip line. Mm. Um, remember in our soil here, the typical root growth is two and a half times the canopy width. So your roots are well out beyond that. All right. When you put that spike in the ground, 
water hits it, and you get it leaking down in sort of a triangular pattern. It gets wider as it goes down. Sure. But once it gets down to about five or six inches, it's missed most of the the roots. Okay, they're out otherwhere. And and all those roots in between those spikes don't get any fertilizer at all, mm-hmm. except the rain, which is right at the surface is where the roots are for a purpose. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's so much cheaper and so much better fertilizer program to just broadcast fertilizer. If you've got a lawn around the tree, it's getting plenty of fertilizer if you're fertilizing it. So you don't even need to worry about it. Now, so, if you've got a small tree, let's say if you had a small tree that you just planted, uh, and you know that root ball is just right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, could you put two or three spikes around that, knowing that that's where the root ball is, that's where the roots are? Perfectly fine, right? Yeah, that's fine. It's but, still a very expensive way to fertilize that tree. <laughs> but as far, but I agree with I like trying to put down a granulated fertilizer to feed the whole root zone area mm-hmm. instead of just these individual spots. Because, Jim, didn't you say a, the root system of a tree is like, let's say you had a dinner plate and you had a wine goblet setting. Right. That's what the, it looks like in our soil. Okay. You know, the wine goblet is the tree. Uh-huh. The dinner plate is the root system. Yeah. And kind of envision that. Right. That, that, that helps a lot to envision it that way. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Well, let me ask you this. If you're out there spraying uh, broadleaf weeds, which, you know, you, and you're killing weeds, you know, any herbicide that kills weeds, typically speaking, you want to be careful spraying within the drip line of any desirable tree. Right? Right, right. Yes. And and, this, and even beyond that, if you got lots of weeds. R- that's my whole point, Jim, because a lot of times we're just under the tree and we're like, ooh, i got to be really careful yeah. spraying up under here. But also when we get out beyond the drip line of a tree, we know there's tree roots down there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you know, you can spray willy-nilly because I'm not under the tree. Who's willy-nilly? You know willy-nilly. Oh, willy-nilly. But He's my, the guy doing the spraying. But oh, my whole, that's okay. Gotcha. But you still have to be careful, you know, even with your, when you're beyond the drip line of a desirable tree spraying your yard. And the only reason I want to bring that up, because when you're out there spraying to kill weeds, you're spraying the foliage of the weed. You're not watering the lawn. Yeah. You're not sat. You shouldn't saturate your lawn with any of these herbicides. That's right. So keep that in mind mm-hmm. also, even when you're beyond the drip right. line of a tree. Well, yeah. you know, it's one of the things I don't like about weed and feed fertilizers. Whereas you have to go out and wet the grass. But then you're putting it over the entire area, whether there's weeds there or not. The granulated weed right. feed, right. I would much prefer to do a liquid and, and spot spray as much as possible. And then come back mm-hmm. and just feed it. Yeah. 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 Well, I was thinking about the tree spikes again. And uh, like, like there's nobody in the woods putting tree spikes around their trees. But now we're planting a tree that's not in the woods that doesn't have all that wonderful compost and fertilizer and all of that. Mm. So we can still recreate that by using the compost and the tones and all of that, which then creates the earth or the the forest floor. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes a while. You're trying to to replicate what Mother Nature has created. Yeah, so in that respect, you wouldn't have to. Because to me, it was much easier just to throw that around the root system of the tree than getting the hammer and the spiking. And then in our soil, you almost have to drill a hole to put the spike in. (laughs) 
Yeah. And you mentioned the Spomas products. You know, they have plant tone, holly tone, uh, bow tone, but there's also mm-hmm. a flower tone. There's a tree tone. Yeah. Uh, right. And they're all similar. Palm tone. Tone, tone, tone. Mm-hmm. All Tomato the tones tone. out there. And not to say that you can use tree tone around your shrubs, okay? <gasps> no. Well, yes, you can. The shrub is not going to know, Jim. It doesn't Jim. say shrub on the, it. The, the, the shrub it is not going to know it. around. It's not going to know the <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, so, each tone has something special for that type of plant, it does. but it still doesn't matter if you mix them. Right, you know, but they yeah. they have the same ratio being yeah. sold to every place in the country, and may not be what you actually need. You know, yeah, it's um, true. It's uh, it's uh. tomatoes. You, you, there is no one product that's perfect for tomatoes in whatever soil you're in. I mean, it's mm. just not. It, the fact is that you're fertilizing them. That's right. And that's the important thing. And I, and I mentioned, you know, spraying broadleaf weeds. You know, typically when you're spraying broadleaf weeds, because I hate broadleaf weeds, ladies, you know that, and Jim, you do too. Uh, <laughs> you know, you typically spray in the spring before the temperatures get above, say, 86, 87 degrees, and then again in the fall. For most of your just typical broadleaf weed killers, yeah. uh, anything that's got maybe 2,4-D, 2,4-P, those kind of things. But my point is, we're getting to the point now where we can get back out there and spray to kill these dang broadleaf weeds. One of the weeds that's been just the weed of the year, it seems like late this year, has been these spotted spurge or just the spurge in general. Mm -hmm. That stuff is everywhere. If you have it in the lawn, that's that little flat spurge that looks like a little small leaf clover, in my opinion, or lespedesia. But you can spray these broadleaf weed killers, and it will do a good job in killing the, the spurge out of your lawn. But now if you have it in your beds, you can go in there and either hand dig it or spot treat with something like Roundup. But my whole point is, once you get your lawn and or your bed clean, then come back and put that pre-emergent down. Yes. You know, it makes a mm-hmm. big difference in trying to keep our lawn and our beds weed-free. And it's one of those things, y'all, it just gets me. I can't walk to the mailbox and turn around and walk back into the house without looking around for a dang weed. And if I see one, I'm going to stop and go pluck it. Speaking of weeds, you know something I thought about. You know, people people order pallets of sod. People get sod put in their yard and all of that. And then they're really upset because there's one weed or two weeds in that sod. Mm-hmm. But do y'all realize how big a sod farm is? how big it is, and how many times they harvest sod, nobody's perfect. There's no way you could keep 100% of the weeds out of these acres and acres and acres no, of No, and we'd see farm. blow everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. And, also, and when we turn the soil, it, hey, it Thank produced, you, that's what I'm saying. When you go out there and prepare the soil, turn the soil, whatever, and you lay that sod down, and any little crack that you have, weed seed can lay dormant for up to 30 years. Yeah. If you bring, if by tilling or raking or aerating or whatever, you can bring some weed seed closer to the surface, okay? And all they need is a little bit of moisture, and they're going to germinate. So you get all these weeds that are growing in the little cracks of the sod, and the homeowner's thinking, well, it's the sod's fault. I didn't mm-hmm. have weeds before you put the sod down. Well, no, because we just tilled it and raked it. That's exactly <laughs> of right. Of course you didn't have Because the weed seeds can lay there for a very, very long time, so... That's where the pre-emergence, that's where they're really handy, though, because they keep the weed seed from germinating. And those things last for about up to 90 to 120 days when you put them down. Mm-hmm. Mostly around here, we figure about three months, about 90 days. And they are just really important when you're trying to keep your beds and your lawns weed-free, I'm and, telling you. And right now is the time to get one down because it's been so dry, we haven't had as much of the 
um annual bluegrass come up yet so yeah you want to get it down before the annual bluegrass um the hen bit chickweed mm-hmm. those are all going to come up here shortly now a lot of these you're not going to see until next spring but you need to get it down now and i'd do it again in december just to get you through that because we've been we've been having summertime at the first in first of the year you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is true unless Go you fair. want to harvest and eat those weeds uh, and enjoy the flowers Go oh that's a down. topic for another day they noticed y'all said didn't mention me on liking broadleaves We'll see you next weekend.